0: Hello and welcome to another Quarren stream. I'm your host, Joe Magician, and today we'll be talking about what promises to be an action-packed kingdom when the winds of winter finally blows from beyond the wall, which is happening... Any day now, Jeff, right? From your inside information, just like any second now we're getting that book. You
1: know, George R. Barton is completing chapters and I'm going to take that as a positive sign for the Winds of Winter coming out at some point soon. So obviously this means this week, I believe maybe he's announcing the publication on Saturday. Maybe he's announcing on Saturday for a publication on Sunday. So... Stay tuned to the Nada blog within the next couple hours. You could see something really interesting. You could. I'm not promising it. But I'm saying that you could. Or if it's not this week, it's gonna be the next week.
0: So Jeff just lied to us right there. Anyway,
1: so, <laughs> so we're I, gonna- I qualified all of my statements with could, would, maybe. Big so I lies. Didn't technically, lie to you. I led you astray. There's a, a little you know, subtle it, difference there.
0: You, you gave us the shadow on the wall. Drink, drink. <laughs> I know it's 2 p.m. or it's 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 11 o'clock in the morning on the West Coast. You know, go ahead and start drinking now. We're going to be, I'm going to be making sure to drop as many Song of Ice and Fire memes as I can. Uh, So we'll be talking about the stormy, storming Stormlands. Now, you'd think this kingdom wouldn't be a hotbed of action, you know, since good King Renly was assassinated by a shadow and Stannis, the the worst, Baratheon, left it to go north and chase that high, being called a king by a bunch of dudes. And yet it promises to be one of the most exciting and impactful stages that George has to offer in the Winds of Winter. We have an invasion, betrayals, romance tragedy battles castle assaults a coming-of-age raunchy comedy yes that's true and most importantly elephants that's right <laughs> we're finally gonna get our elephants and joining today is the standard man of Stanner the fandom villain the twitter heel and co-host of the not a cast podcast jeff aka brendan beefish jeff how you doing? I'm doing great.
1: So, I guess it's the part where I say hello. And, well, mm-hmm. no, I'm not going to be here mm-hmm. this time. I am really happy to be here. I, uh, Matt's been on so many of our, our episodes for the regular Naughty Cast going back to. John one and two, which we did like a year. I, I listened to that very recently, actually, because mm-hmm. I was doing some prep work for John six and seven. I'm like, oh yeah, we did this. When, when we did we do this? Oh, it was like October 2019 <laughs> when we did that episode. And then we had our we had our month of Davos. We did four parts of Davos, and you joined us for part three for that. So that was mm-hmm. really special and awesome to have you here. And it's it's fun to be here to talk about the lands because this is this is a place that I personally find to be one of the most interesting spots. Uh, that is that the wins winner specifically is going to take us because so much ninety nine ninety eight even if you want to be generous. Of what we ninety eight percent of what we saw in Game of Thrones is not going to be replicated in A Song of Ice and Fire in the Winds of Winter. There's no John Connington. There's no Aegon. There's no, <laughs> no Golden Company. Well, there is a Golden Company. Eh,
0: kind of. There, yeah, there, there's really, a Harry
1: Strickland. I guess. Right. There, there's some guy yeah, that, with that name. That, that Harry Strickland with all that hair, man. Wow. That that's uh, beautiful. Not that Harry Strickland that I pictured from from the books with his uh, with, <laughs> with, with his uh, blisters on his toes, always soaking them and stuff like that, and all that good stuff. So. You know, this is is a fascinating topic to me because this is a place that Game of Thrones never touched at all. And they made the specific decision to cut out the Young Griff storyline in order to streamline the process going forward. George, on the other hand, has gone the opposite track, which is, of course, to make his story as expansive and complex as possible. And that includes the Stormlands here. So I'm so pleased to be doing this with you, man. And uh, you know, it's it's great. You know, Matt, for those of you who don't know, Matt and I have been, we've been each other out for almost five years. I want to say since like 2015, 2016, that's a long time. Right. And then we finally got to beat at the, uh, the George R. R. Martin event at Jersey city back in uh, 2018, right. when he released fire and blood volume one, which was uh, Mm a, which was a lot of fun. Uh, If you go back to like our, our channels. Oh God. Nobody should watch (laughs) that stream. (laughs) It's a great stream because we got so like drunk, Jeff. Wasted, but we were, so, we we're like just like crushed there and like trying to have a debate about. I don't even remember now. I, uh, if you, if it, you, was you joke, I it was about egg on the third.
0: It's about the dragon. Okay, about egg
1: on the third. yep, yep. It yep. Was about egg on the third. I thought it was, about, I thought it was just. I thought that was the uh, the layer, like the kind of uh, the surface layer for the debate oh my about Brandon versus Stannis, because um, that's what all, <laughs> all our debates end up coming down to. Would become to uh, uh, to uh, we are talking about sunlight and fire. But yeah, it's 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 a super huge pleasure to be here with you, man. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to celebrate almost five years friendship with you and happy uh, episode Friendship, friendship
0: is a strong word um we are acquaintance. moderation acquaintances, coworkers, frenemies, frenemies, frenemies. Yes, yes, beast. yes. There we, there we go. Never call us guys. Don't get the wrong impression here. This is just because we're both co-moderators. We are just hyping a Song of Ice and Fire team right now. That's right. Mm-hmm.
1: How am I supposed to afford mine the next laser cannon on the Sky Palace if I don't continue to make more money doing? We the Song have of ice to chill the
0: board. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We make mm-hmm. all that
1: money from it. Although, fun yeah, fact, we so actually
0: could. Sure. We don't. We don't. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. Reddit gave the ability. This is like totally off topic but Reddit like gave the ability to tip moderators and i just laughed out loud when that came out i'm like what are you doing why would you tip a moderator (laughs) it's just like uh, yeah reddit uh, uh, well, I, I, i'm, pro- I'm pro- providing content by banning people i
1: guess i guess that's the explanation well, anyway. we can't actually pay you we can give you tips though i mean it's it's basically the same conceit of working doing restaurant work if you've ever done that before oh true and i'm sure many of have done that as well so performing
0: yeah. service speaking of tipping though onto the uh the whole promo thing that's going on even though you cannot tip me on reddit please don't even try i don't think i have it turned on you can do it here and there are other ways to give back if you want to hit that like button if you want to um leave a comment afterwards uh actually let's let's think of a comment thing that they should say afterwards why is renly better than Stanless? please leave that in the comments below after you watch this um, share, hit that little bell button if you want to get notifications. Also, um, if you want to support me, you can support me on Patreon.com/slashJoeMeditation. Where actually today we got a, I got a new um a new patron uh Scott Westbury joined the uh joined as a maester thank you so much Scott and also to um Archmaester and Bolin who joined um earlier this week thank you guys both so much for that and oh speaking of the other way Sanrixian just demonstrated it with her with her typical way of speaking I guess uh five dollars from Sanrixian Saint-Rix, she says Franz
1: so I guess she's talking about the leaves uh, was it, is it Franz or is it Franz from uh from uh, um, what's the father of the bride remember that's that's the Ooh. character that barn short plays it's
0: f r o d n s so i think she's taught she's a big fan of leaves so i think that's what she's
1: talking about here you know fronds okay. on a um on a house plant so interesting come and you know rake up my yard i would really appreciate it because i'm one of my chores it's on my to-do list that i've not yet done yet i'm going to pawn off on you so sanry if you want to come to baltimore come should... find me you can i'll give you a rake well no you need to bring your own rake oh my I, god I can bring you my <laughs>
0: Uh, Also, um, actually, hang on a second, there's also a PayPal link because um, some folks don't like giving YouTube Half or something like that. You you guys don't have it um turned on on the not a cast one, but yeah, they take a pretty significant bite out of it. Um uh, let's see, your ten dollars from Ramona Zamfir when uh my what is she a Schenestal level patron? And actually, I have a couple questions coming from her later, but thank you very much, Ramona, for the ten dollars. Very very uh very very generous of you. Uh, Sanrixian is clarifying that she's saying we are friends. Oh oh, interesting.
1: What, what, so I'm not talking what, what, about leaves. What is a What is this brand? What does that mean? What does that mean to you? Is it like assets? That's what I have. I I think, yeah, assets is a good way of putting it. I think it's exploitable assets is probably the Mm -hmm. qualifier that I would use. Yeah, (laughs) definitely.
0: Yeah, all those ways are ways you can uh, support me in the channel if you you are feeling very generous. And um, what else was I going to say? Oh, so what I have upcoming, actually, Jeff knows about this project because uh, Jeff actually does know about a fair amount of my tinfoil theories before they get posted because I post them in the mod slack and I say, okay, people who are more reasonable tell me why I'm wrong. And Jeff is very happy to tell me why I'm wrong. Um, So next one coming up will be that the Tattered Prince and his true identity as well as a short video about the five year gap, essentially saying mm. what it is because I get tired of explaining it. So I'm going to be like, I'm just going to point to it every time and say, here, guys, look, you can just go watch this. It's short. It explains. It, it has all the quotes. You'll be great. I don't have to do this ever, ever again. Um, and the Tiger Prince, uh, the Tiger Prince thing is an extension of the Brienne, the beauty. Um, Brand the Beauty Pretty Maris connection that actually I came up with live on a Maester monthly cast, and while I said it, Jeff stopped the recording and said, "Matt, you have to write this." I'm like, "Oh, okay."
1: <laughs> and then we had to record the whole thing all over again. No, I didn't you know we just, just, it. We it was it was an excellent theory. Um, and this one, I think, was going to be equally excellent with a lot of uh, interesting candidates. I won't I won't spoil anyone here. Uh, I, I like as you folks know, I like to keep all the, the secrets that I know completely under wraps and to myself because that makes me feel good to be withholding from all of you.
0: <laughs> that is how he does. Oh, another super chat from Cam Cam. Two dollars. Thank you so much. Uh, shitting on your mods. <laughs> how kind and professional. Yeah. Yeah. Song Vice Admire Fire Mod Team. We are, we are just co-workers. <laughs> just, just co-workers just friends no whatever exploitable assets it's fellow exploitable assets there that that's right that's what they are oh and uh ten dollars from uh amy blackfire she she says thank you amy very very generous uh you rock that loved hanging out in the slack bar last night mariah carey xmas music is bay. did you know she released a new version she released a yeah. new video with like um right. it's amazing it already has 60 million views on it the exact great. same music though so she just recorded herself looking hot and it was great way to go mariah
1: very good well, well done, Mariah Carey, by my <laughs> friend, friend.
0: Jeff yeah. loves Jeff loves Mariah Carey. Um. I think that's it for, oh, for, also for promos, we were talking about this before it goes live. Speaking of merchandise, um, with that video, uh, the Tattered Prince coming, I'll be launching like t-shirts and whatnot. Um, patrons will be getting some sort of coupon or something like that, some sort of code to get it um for free, depending on, actually, probably maybe just for free. I don't know. It depends on the uh, patron level or I don't, I should not make this complicated. I should just do it for free. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, the the channel relaunch stuff. So all the new artwork from Sanrixian will be going up along with a new intro and a different snippet of my f- of the song I used at the beginning. Um, so with that, I thought I actually have before we go into the, the rest of the Stormland stuff, I have a email here. I don't know if you guys know this. I do have an email you guys can send questions to if you want me to address them during chat. And if for some reason you don't want to put them on YouTube or send them through the other ways to get me. Uh, it's askjoemagician at gmail.com and this one came from uh, Sophia and she wrote a very long detailed email and we're just going to talk about part of it but the basics of the email is she was th- she had watched the episode with Gray Area um, where we were talking about how human-like ghost is and how intelligent he is and how he seems so different from the other direwolves and just like what the hell's going on with him. And actually, you guys on Nauticast recently got to the exact chapter where this happened. It's the one where... John is asleep, and then he's in Ghost, and Ghost is standing on a cliff, and all of a sudden he's in a forest, and then Mm Bran shows up, and it's like, high fantasy what the fuck are you doing George <laughs> um, and so the question she had uh, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read this but it was a really good point she had here she said I agree with you that John is not as as powerful as Bran and that ghost is much more clever than John I mean John still knows nothing so yeah mm-hmm. but I cannot dis- explain that the descriptions of John's wolf dreams are more human like I have some phrases from a clash of kings for comparison uh, this one is from John it says their encampment had no plan to it he saw no ditches no sharp and stakes, no neat rows of horse lines. Everywhere, crude earthen shelters and hide tents sprouted haphazardly like a pox on the face of the earth. And this is uh, Sophia's comment afterwards. She says, Ghost warg by John seems to know what a planned encampment looks like. Says ditches instead of holes, shelters and tents instead of man caves. In short, he names things not as a wolf would see them in terms used by humans. Now, to be fair, he has his wolf perspective moments but not as often as Summer, and the rest are very extraordinary. How can a direwolf make the poetic alliterations of the pox on the face of the earth? Good question. Elsewhere, he mentions they are training for war in the phrase, this is no army, no more than it is a town. This is a whole people come together. An army, a town, not a man pack. Compare those with Summer Brand's descriptions. Uh, this is from Brand's, uh, I think this is probably Clash of Kings 4, no, five, 6 and 7. Huddled by the fires... In their caves of piled stone instead of houses. A gate loomed up, a black iron snake coiled tight against about bar and post. Many times his brother had tried to crack the black bones of the gate between his teeth, but they would not break, instead of chains and locks and iron bars for black bones." So what do you make about this Jeff? I had never known this before and I really wish I had because this, this seems like an excellent observation in the differences between ghost and summer, and even Nymeria. Nymeria is much the same. When Arya wargs her, George uses this simplified vocabulary to indicate that it's the wolf's
1: thoughts. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic catch. I think when you're talking about how more advanced John might be in his warging than Bran, but also how much more advanced Ghost might be in understanding things. You know. Something that, that I think is, is worth mentioning is that John is a watcher on the walls, right? And, and George, very early in the Game of Thrones, he was really playing with this idea of John being like the watcher. He was very observant and very mm. like focused in, like at the at the feast, his very first opening chapter of the King's Feast. He makes a number of astute observations about the ways that different people are interacting emotionally and alongside of different people. Uh, he notes that Cersei was super fucking pissed to be like there at Winterfell. And he notes that this is because that robert had visited lay crypt back in mm. uh in Edward one his first chapter in the game of thrones and i think like this then gets then transposed onto ghost where ghost ends up having the same similarities and characteristics as john being an observer and being very watchful but also one of the things i think is worth talking about too is that you know for john the reason why he was this way is that he was an outcast and always had to be aware of what his, mm-hmm. and I'm using this in quotation marks, betters we're thinking about in order to uh, avoid like a unfortunate confrontation with his stepmom in the form of Catelyn Stark, or to kind of mind his manners around like a person like Cersei Lannister, who of course would be less than thrilled to have uh, a bastard around to remind her of both of her own bastards in the form of Joffrey, Marcella and Tommen but also in the form of all the bastards that Robert had father as well, that Cersei is well aware of. The ghost, I think is the same way. And he's the outcast, he's the albino dire wolf amidst the pack. And so he ends up being much more observant than the other dire wolves. And I do wonder whether there's an element of human culture, which again gets transposed onto wolf culture, which is similar to how John is interacting with the world around him. So I think those things are really good. And I think like the, the email itself captures something that we never saw in in the, in the the episode itself. And when we we covered John seven, which is how in depth ghost understanding Mm. is instead of like trance, instead of making like human things into wolf imagery, like the, the coiled snake rising in the air, which could have been smoke could also be a dragon. And some people Mm. with their eyes, which I don't think it is likely, but I think (laughs) that, um, and also like the iron bars being like teeth as opposed to being iron bones. That's, bone no right. understanding yeah, exactly. what iron is he's just like it's a hard thing so it must be bone right and piles of and caves of piled stone piled stone of course being Houses or castles in the form of mm-hmm. Winterfell. I mean, that's that imagery is brought up in several of Bran's chapters in The Clash of Kings. So I think that's great. And, and I think like having John have this wider perspective and as which again, getting getting mirrored in Ghost is is excellent. And having John be interestingly, like less like trained, like with the one of the things we talked about in that episode on John 7 is that John does not have a magical mentor figure like Bran does because Bran has no. Jojen, and eventually he's going to have Blood Raven for a short time before Blood Raven and very sadly passes away due to uh, extremely natural causes i think that's, mm-hmm. I yeah sure it was, man yeah, yeah um but uh but john doesn't have that but still he's he has that intrinsic connection to ghost and ghost has that vice versa connection to john which is powerful all the same despite not having someone to train him so come the winds of winter and john emerges from the dead i'm really really curious how much stronger his warging power is going to be both in, from living inside of Ghost, which many people theorize to believe these theories that mm-hmm. john is going to be john's Consciousness will be within ghost for a time in the winds of winter before coming back out is, as a man. Smellassandra so says when she sees John's future in the flames. First a man, now a ghost, now a man again. So that seems to be the uh, the direction of John's storyline, the chronology, so to speak. So I think that's that's what the um, that's what's uh, what's going to happen. And I think Melisandre might end up acting as that kind of mentor, mentor figure to John going forward. Maybe a little bit, depending on how long she stays with John in the Winds of Winter. Before eventually breaking away to be with Stannis King, because I think that also has to happen at some point in the Winds Winter. So yeah, it's it's a fantastic catch, showing John as being a magical figure despite not having a magical mentor, and it just makes it. Makes the story that much more powerful and strong to have john have this intrinsic natural connection to magic and to dire wolves into ghosts and the ghost to have that same connection back to john it's
0: it definitely even if you don't go into the crazy tinfoil thing which is actually where the rest of the email went into they uh sophia went into the idea i've had that perhaps that ghost is maybe almost like a reincarnated person or it's kind of like a second life that as soon as ghost was born a human consciousness took over because he's so smart compared to the rest of them. And she was like, Oh, what if it's Rhaegar or what if it's these other people? I'm like, yeah, those are, those are, those are interesting possibilities. I enjoy thinking about those, but I think the more reasonable uh, take is probably that John and Ghost's relationship is far more equal than any of his siblings. Um, Ghost and John are partners. Whereas summer serves Bran and Ari is kind of subservient to Nymeria. When she wargs into her, she doesn't, she doesn't seem to have a lot of, a total amount of control. It, it goes up over time. For instance, it's Arya that recognizes Catlin's smell and essentially urges Nymeria to go get her. But John and Ghost are very much bros rather than any sort of unequal <laughs> relationship. So, if there's something of if that's the way the relationship is, then perhaps there's some more of a merging of their minds than um than you see previously. Maybe Ghost. Yeah, I've actually talked about this before. Like. John can work into ghost maybe ghost can go into John's mind a little bit instead of it just being a one way connection it would make some, sure. it would make some in- some interesting sense and George loves playing with that kind of metaphysical metaphysical metaphys- metaphys- psychic um kind of things work he writes about it all the time it's one of his favorite things so i wouldn't be surprised if that's kind of what he's
1: indicating with that passage well, i mean what is it that Vermeer says in the dance of dragons prologue something to the effect of that the longer you are inside of mm-hmm. a, a wolf the more the wolf is inside of you so to speak until you're until the wolf takes over essentially if you're you're in the wolf too long which is also something that that jojan tells bran mm-hmm. in a storm of swords about like you need to like break away from from summer else stop doing like, this brand knock it off stop, stop being so long inside of of, of, of summer else like you're just just going to get lost in there you're never going to want to come out again um so yeah i think that that's a that's a great point um so i think like the wolf comes in just as the man comes into the wolf wolf and man man and wolf there's, there's they become
0: merged consciousness rather like, than separate ones that seems to be if, if we're talking about the vision you're talking about with Melisandra, that that could also be another interpretation not that john just yeah. hangs out and goes body and comes back and maybe that when he goes in the ghost body <laughs> that I mean, some people thought that ghost dies. Maybe ghost takes his second life in John and they sure. end up just being a merge personality from then on, because he does have a very strong personality and effect over John. Um, yeah. Also, we got a, a super chat earlier that I did not get to in time. So it was from Ola um, Ola G. Uh, she sent in or they sent in. I'm not actually sure. So uh, theory, Bran becomes king doing abomination and takes somebody's body. It makes more sense that all of the Lord's crowning Lord Cripple Boyd is in the show. Whose body could he take? um well, the obvious one's Hodor he's has taken that body um the, there have been theories in the past that that maybe he'll take John's body or he'll just take su- like some corpse and live through it. Um, there have been suggestions in the past, like who exactly is Cold Hands? Is that a re- is that a Firelight, or is that Blood Raven playing at being a Firelight? Like is he being walked around like a puppet? Um, it's very possible, given what we know about Bran's powers, that he doesn't have to rule as himself. Um, but I, I imagine he will. George has been, made it very clear that Bran is the is the prince, and that there's a lot of king ideas around him. I don't think he would
1: rule through somebody else. I think it would be him. And, and I think too, like. The, the idea of Hodor, like brand skin changing into Hodor is an abomination and it's bad. And Bran does not, he's not like, he's not old enough and mature enough to recognize what he's doing is is wrong. And that's where I think the hold the door aspect comes in where Bran has to be like, Oh God, I, I've really fucked this up. i, I messed up <laughs> my entire life in a way that even like he is as, as an eight year old can understand. So, so I, I think like, I, I don't think that Bran's future is for him just to continue to be this like blood raven like character of being this nasty person person Mm -hmm. that utilizes any means to the end of seating himself on the Iron Throne. I think the ultimate his ultimate story is bending towards him being a good kid, which he which is what he is in, in actuality as well as in as, as me describing him. So I, I think it's it's less likely it's going to be skin changing someone to be sit the iron throne, which may or may not even exist, but it's <laughs> some like metaphorical king of king of the six kingdoms, so to speak. Whatever that's the throne what, is, yeah. Right. And and I think that's that's more likely to be what, what Bran is going to be doing in his own body, because I think he's going to recognize that. That skin-changing another human being is truly abomination, as Hagon says, and also is a, a way to lead him towards an evil Euron Greyjoy type, type robe, which is, uh, for those of you who are our patrons, and I know a number of you folks who are listening to this are, uh, we, we did cover this in our part five of The Forsaken, Amidon, uh, my, my excellent mm-hmm. and very handsome. Very, very handsome. Spartan, very handsome. God, that goatee just drives <sighs> me wild um Every but during that part, he talks specifically about how Euron is is the example that Bran is supposed to not become, and Euron and Bran will be potentially be exposed to Euron in some sort of astral plane like way. And I think that's going to be ultimately Bran's going to be continuously and for the the rest of his life, this bittersweet way that he ends his arc and his story as King Westeros is he always knows that he can become like fuck my fucking microphone, and he can become like like Euron Greyjoy, and that temptation and is always there, but he has to resist it, and that has to be the way that I think is going to end up his story in Song of Wasted Fire.
0: I agree. They're the... The path is there for Bran. I don't think he'll take it. That's sort of the point. Reed. He's having people saying mm-hmm. Bran. Well, at some point he will, because Raven hasn't done that yet, but at some point he will. Uh, another super chat from Ola. Stick the like button with the pointy end. Actually, I forgot to say this. Uh, 164 people watching so far. Thank you guys for coming out this Saturday. Hang out with me and Jeff while we talk about nonsense. I mean, very smart things that we planned out and it's not nonsense. Oh, yeah. uh, oh, yeah. no uh, if we get to 150 likes, I got my wizard hat sitting right here. I'll I'll Don the power of Gandalf if we get to 150 likes, Jeff, you don't have to do anything. I know you don't have don't any chats.
1: My, my hat is upstairs. The one you can go get a hat if not, you I'm want. hat is upstairs. So yeah, sadly. yeah, sure. If we get to 150, Jeff will also put on his Orioles hat. Sure. I'm gonna run upstairs real quick and say hi to my children. My children might come might come at some point. I invited oh, I the kids. The best guests everyone. Um, it's because they were very sad that I was doing a video <sighs> podcast at this time. So uh, yeah, we'll see. Maybe they, maybe they will. Maybe they will. Doing, yeah.
0: So slam that like that button. We get up to 175. I'll put on my Germ hat, sitting also right here with a very fancy emerald turtle. Also, yes, the Emmett thirst is is ever present, although he, he put a thing on Twitter yesterday where he was like, uh, which celebrities do you look like? And he does look like Edward Snowden. It's it's true. <laughs> a very, a very handsome Edward Snowden. Mm. Bless his heart. Yes, indeed. All right. So mm. we should probably get back to the Stormlands. Uh, thank you, Sophia, for the question. That was really great. Also, uh, the super chat questions. So we're going to lead off here with a quote, and I think this is. Maybe one of your favorites, I would guess, right? Mm -hmm. Especially your love of uh, young Griff and everything that's going on here. So this is from the uh, Dance with Dragons, Kevin Lannister epilogue. And it is after Kevin has been quarreled to death, well, close to death by Varys at this point. I will be playing the role of Kevin. Jeff will be playing the role of Varys. So you get to hear his Varys voice. Which just because I'm
1: going bald, I play Varus. Is that what's going on here? because <laughs> I'm going bald. Okay, I see it. I see what you're doing. Yeah,
0: just saying you can shave your head. Anyway, um, <laughs> so here we go. Aegon. <clears throat> For a moment, he did not understand. Then he remembered a babe swallowed in a crimson cloak. The clothes, the cloth stained with his blood
1: and brains. Dead. He's dead. No. The eunuch's voice seemed deeper. He is here. Aegon has been shaped for rule since before he could walk. He has been trained at arms, as befits a knight to be. That was not the end of his education. He reads and writes. He speaks several tongues. He has studied history and law and poetry. Septa has instructed him in the mysteries of the faith since he was old enough to understand them. He has lived with fisherfolk, worked with his hands, swum in rivers, and mended nets, and learned to wash his own clothes at need. He can fish and cook and bind up a wound. He knows what it's like to be hungry, to be hunted, to be afraid. Tommen has been taught that kingship is his right. Aegon knows that kingship is his duty, that a king must put his people first and live and rule for them. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Perfectly done. You know, another Emmy Award winning performance. Let's let's drive on. A Webby Award. Webby Award. That's what (laughs) we're getting here. (laughs) Okay.
0: so yeah that, that's the introduction here the big part obviously of the stormlands will be the the influence or i guess the the action that will cause all the others and that is of course that um Aegon, aka young griff or i'm just gonna call him young griff just for just for simplicity for the rest of the stream but um He has landed in the stormlands with the golden company and i just wanted to go over quickly like so why is this worth a stream why are the stormlands going to be so important well i think the first point is that um when people think of a dance with dragons and the end of a dance with dragons they think about daenerys in the dothraki sea and those very poetic and powerful passages they think about john dying they think about cersei's walk but that is not how a dance with dragon ends a dance with dragon ends with the small council and kevin lannister meeting and talking about Youngriff's invasion and how all the ways George actually lays out through Kevin and also through Varys exactly how this invasion is going to change everything in Westeros, and it's going to be a major focus of the book, and it just so happens to be occurring in the Stormlands, which is... Thank you, George. Thank you for giving us the summary of most of the Winds of Winter, which will be um, Youngriff's landing, destroying every
1: uh, every plan that everybody has in Westeros. Yeah, I mean, this this storyline is, is one of the most intriguing and one of the most densely plotted storylines that george has been planning and we can see his planning for a number of these events going all the way back to a feast for crows and when george invents the golden company which occurred while he was writing a storm of swords but did not actually ended up ended up writing him in writing them into *A storm of swords proper but he said they would be in a dance with dragons he said that back in 2000. So this is a place that George R. Martin has invested a lot of time and effort in building up. And I think a dance of Dragons serves as almost the prologue for much of the events from the winds of winter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, before we like drive on, I, I just, I figured I would talk about this real quick and that, you know, people look at a character like young Griff and they're like, Oh, fucking young Griff and Quentin <laughs> Martel and <laughs> Brianne's journeys in the riverlands, just a bunch of filler to pad out the book, this bloated piece of shit book known as a dance of Dragons. Dragons. And first of all, you are banned. Second of all, you're in jail because I'm going to come arrest you. And third of all, you're wrong because none of this is actually just padding out the story. This is integral to the story of A Song of Ice and Fire. Young Griff is a character which not only has resonance to events that are going to be occurring to the Stormlands, but has a resonance to what's going to happen in King's Landing, mm-hmm. Dorne, the Reach, and ultimately is going to have extreme, an extreme amount of resonance to Daenerys Targaryen, which. Of course, as we know from the Arian sample chapter from The Winds of Winter, the first one, you know. Eh- Tiola, I think I'm getting her name right. Tiola Tol- Tolan. There you go. That's her name. Mm-hmm. Tiora. Tiora. There's her name. Tiora Tolan says that, um, that, you know, she has a dream and she says, in my, my dream, the dragons were dancing. And that's going to be the ultimate end point for a young Griff storyline in, in a, in a song of ice and fire, namely to be dancing dragons with Daenerys Targaryen. And this has, in essence, as we know, the dance of the dragons historically was the great war fought between Aegon the mm-hmm. second and Neera is a uh, sister, right? Kind of. Okay. I've some some, Kind sister. of. sister. Yeah. There you go. Kind of Half sister. Half sister. Yeah. I, the that the the one aspect that is i think the most intriguing about all of this and which makes it even more interesting to talk about in the year 2020 is that we saw what happened with the story of A Song of Ice and Fire when it did not have young Griff in it and you know you can make the a very compelling case that that David Benioff and Dan Weiss had to streamline events that George was planning for A Song of Ice and Fire because again he had not written The Winds of Winter yet before he had gotten to um transit before the showrunners had transitioned to stories lines Mm. that would be occurring after the end of A Dance of Dragons but we can see what happens when we have an absence of a storyline how that impacts other characters for good and ill and I think the absence of young grifflet to some i want to say almost like a diet like the diet coke of a Daenerys targaryen is that, <laughs> that makes sense yes. i mean like it, it, it's like there the taste is still there like you're still like drinking soda ultimately but there's not a lot of flavor and i drink diet coke because you know i don't want to get like enormous like I, I can and have in the past and but but, wow, I, but I, you know, I enjoy game of thrones very open dinners. of you jeff <laughs> i mean i just gotta be i gotta be vulnerable so like the three thousand wow. people that are watching your stream right now right yeah thousands of them but but ultimately it does not have like the same taste it doesn't have the same substance yeah. as we will likely going to see with the winds of winter and with uh, a Dream of Spring, which I think the Young Griff storyline is going to f- is going to bleed into the, into a Dream of Spring mo- most likely.
0: We we got a very abbreviated version of that. For instance, the yeah. Varys um, betrayal to Daenerys is very likely the stand-in for um, probably the Martell betrayal. Obviously, Varys in the books is going to betrayal Dany, even though he initially had plans for her. Um, young Griff, anyone that follows her that follows him will be against Daenerys, and she'll probably interpret that way. And also the the idea that Jon would be the um, someone she has to fear as a challenger makes a lot more sense if she has to already go through another Targaryen challenger to her throne. And if there's another one, well, you can see how that would have a lot more impact and make the distrust and the um, sort of frayed mentality that she ended up having and the, the anger she felt make a lot more sense if it was if there's a another character in between that very clearly says you have no right to what you think is yours which john was never doing in the show so yeah that was kind of missing this is kind of how it goes also uh aziz aka history of westeros has showed up and he's commenting that we dressed to match thank you aziz also hello hi hi, hi dad how's it going, buddy? <laughs> um, uh, so, obviously the first part here is uh, Aegon's Landing Part 2, so like Aegon the Conqueror before him, Aegon uh, Young Griff has decided, or decided for him, it's it's kind of unclear that the Stormlands will be the first target in his conquest, uh, Aegon the Conqueror when he landed with Rhaenys and Visenya, his first thing was to take out Argilac the Arrogant and from there go after Harrenhal. So, yeah. Very resonant by George, making sure the the um the relationship between Storm's End and the Baratheons and uh, young Griff is showing up. But again, we know by the end of A Dance with Dragons, the Golden Company has landed like half of its ten thousand troops on the coastlands of the Stormlands and the islands under the command of Jon. Definitely not Ned Stark if Robert had died, plus about 10 years, Connington fighting for his ancestral home. Um, and this is something I wanted to talk to you about because it, it struck me when I was reading them back. Do you think the Stormlands is the best practical target? Should that really be where Young Griff and the Golden Company are attacking Westeros from? Or is this more fueled by the fact that John Connington? really wants Griffin's
1: roost back. That's a great question, man. I think it's I think the answer is both. I think uh, you know what is what is that Haldan Halfmaster tells John Connington in, in The Griffin Reborn. He says we could have scarce timed our landing better because Stannis is up in the north. Mm-hmm. The Tyrrell Terrell has just you know broken his siege of Storms and order to race back to King's Landing to try and save Marjorie Terrell. And all of like the, the Storm Lords, the big ones are either dead up in the far north with Stannis, up actually a, a number of them are a part of um, the army that, that Randall Tarley has within that has also marched down from, from Duskendale. Mm-hmm. So I think like those are those are like, fortunate aspects of it. But the interesting aspect too is that like when you get back to the Lost Lord, the previous John Connington chapter, mm-hmm. we don't get a sense of like the intelligence of what they actually know about the Stormlands. Very little. They know basically nothing. That their spy master Lison Omar, is more concerned with what Valantis is doing and has basically had agents in and out of the city of Valantis to try to determine what the Triarchs are are planning with regards to the Golden Company because the Triarchs have called their banners because the Golden Company is there and they're concerned they're going to have to go to battle with with Valantis and the Valentines, mm-hmm. but they don't really know anything about Westeros. So I think like <laughs> this John Constantine is, is making the call to go to the Stormlands because one, that's the place that he knows the best. Two, as he says in in the Griffin Reborn, he's telling, we talked to Harry Strickland or how to how to Halden Halfmaster, that's the name, that he has still has friends in the Stormlands too that he can attempt to rally and bring them to their side and more importantly like he knows he knows just he generally he knows the land he knows the castles mm-hmm. he knows the players he knows all of the the politics that have fed into what the Stormlands are in the year 301 ac which is about when this this event occurs with the Aegon's invasion so i think that, that those are like the primary th- drivers for why they end up choosing the Stormlands. Mm-hmm. and i think like you know something else and i think we should talk about this too a little bit is that it's really 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 lucky how so lucky you, how easy like their landing is even if they got half of their men to the shore they really should have gotten zero fucking nothing fuck all for uh, for the people there why is that because right before they had landed there the red wine fleet was in and around dragonstone right all mm-hmm. 500 ships but they had since just right it must have been right before that Aegon landed they had come around the armadorn because they were going to sail against uh against yarn and joy and the iron and the iron fleet then you had victorian who's also sailing sort of similar in the same direction uh, that the that young griff is mm-hmm. they could have been coming together they did not in fact um one of Victarion's fleets ended up in list which was a place that the golden company landed briefly just gone water and supplies before proceeding onto Westeros. And of course, all those armies, those Maestrell has something like thirty thousand dudes, maybe fifteen thousand, if we're going to take the, the the underestimate for how many men he had in, in in place around Storm's End. They're now gone to King's Landing, and Maestrell is not going to march on Young Griffin until things have been decided favorably on behalf of his daughter Marjorie in their in, this, in her coming trial by faith, which is set to occur shortly after the Dance of the Dragons epilogue. So it's so fortunate that they landed right when they did, and how they landed when they did, even if they only have half the company there, and war mm. showing up. And you know, we're, we'll talk. We're going to talk about this too also unfortunate, like the people that like got lost along the way they end up landing in castles and taking the castles it's
0: like oh look there's estermont uh sure yeah, i guess i guess my, we'll take that that's we, don't, we don't need Estermont, <laughs> but sure we'll take it um actually uh isabel harper in the chat brings up a good point or waters the new pirate king of the basilisk isles oh no not the basilisk isles of the um of the stepstones he apparently does not notice them going by or doesn't have them pay a toll they certainly don't talk about it that's another amazing stroke of luck it's almost like george is setting up the the invasion to go really well at the beginning only for it to go really badly as it gets right. into the winds of winter
1: i mean like you know like we, we talk about how rob stark when he started his campaign like it was it was really like kind of tough at first right you had mm-hmm. tywin's army in place like directly to the south of him jamie Lannister besieging river run you had ned stark in prison because he hadn't been executed at that point and so like he had to like overcome these major obstacles and hurdles in order to achieve some ascendancy when we started A Clash of Kings and defeating Jamie Lannister and sending Tywin and his fucking brutal, torturous ass. Back to Harrenhal, Hall, and then of course, then defeating Stafford Lannister out in the Westerlands in a Clash of Kings, too. All of these things were major obstacles for Rob Stark when he was mm-hmm. attempting to gain his crown. And I think we're going to see similar obstacles for Jon Stowe storyline as he ascends to King of the North at some point in the winds of winter. Sure. Those obstacles don't exist for young prince. No. Like he's basically walking into victory after victory after victory after victory. And just speaking like just narratively, like how people write stories in books. Like if someone's going so if as we as I was told in the army once. Like, if your attack is going really, really well, it's probably an ambush. Mm-hmm. In the same way that kind of works for narratively speaking, if your storyline and your narrative is going really, really well, it's leading to fucking disaster at some point down the road. And that's what's coming for Young Griff at the end. But I'm getting way, way ahead way of myself. Yeah,
0: way ahead of yourself. Actually, way as ahead. Bookshelf stuff is also, lo- I want to say, when we talk on Maester Monthly, he says, if the author tells you what's going to happen, it's going to go wrong. And we know the entire invasion plan for Connington and Young Griff. Therefore, they're fucked but they don't know it yet. Um, And this is something uh, I know you have written extensively about. Uh, You have Mace Tyrell and uh, Friends in the Reach versus Young Griff. Mm -hmm. So this is a, a wrinkle that's happening and this is something that's noticed primarily in the epilogue of A Dance with Dragons, that Kevin Lannister just happens to note that he thinks Randall Tarly can be pried away from uh, from Mace Tyrell, and perhaps quite a few of the of the uh, Reach Lords, in particular the Red Ones. So what, what do you make of this? Is this, um, oh, hang on one second, let me be uh, donated $5 saying great stream, thank you so much, let me very... Very generous of you. So what do you make of this? Why why is it so important that the Reach Lords are,
1: George is telling us they're up for grabs? How do you think this is going to play out? So this is is a fantastic question and just a, a great way. And this helps to illustrate the entire storyline, why it's so fascinating to me and for me you know I, a lot of folks are are really interested in the in the magical side of a song of ice and fire hey what's going on buddy um <laughs> but, but uh, and, and i am too but it, it's it, but for me like i tend to gravitate more towards the politics uh, of a song of ice and fire I have blog called the wars and politics of ice and fire have you read it it's it's okay at some points um it's good but yeah it's, it's okay it's sometimes you know sometimes i go back and read my old work i'm like yeah <laughs> I, I was rereading some of the stuff for below the concrete to kind of get like back in the mindset of talking about this and i'm like god this some of these essays just need just a, a degree of editing in order to make these just a little bit uh Clearer and better, and less like ten thousand words, like, you know, words. Anyways, um, so friends in the reach. This is this is a, a really interesting topic because I think it's Laswell Peak that brings up like ah, we still have friends in the reach. The and peaks. Of course, the peaks have friends. Bullshit peak. Right. Yeah. How many peaks? There's like there is a peak lore that exists at some somewhere in in you know the reach. I think I I can't imagine they have more than just a a pop tent there, and maybe like a lamplight that they've been granted by the by their overlords because of how many times they've rebelled and been on the wrong side of rebellion. So I I can't imagine they're actually the friends of the Reach. And I think, excuse me. I think Laswell Peak is referring to like oh the traditional allies of the Black of House Blackfire that was fighting on our sides, all those (laughs) secondary houses that were joining up with us um, in in terms of (laughs) in terms of like all the failed rebellions they've had in the past. Here's the issue, Laswell. Those houses. If any of them exist anymore, they're significantly reduced, mm-hmm. and if they are not significantly reduced, they have been they have been co opted and brought into the fold of the royal house of, of Wester of Westeros in terms of the Lannisters and the Baratheids. The other, but the thing is that he's Laswell Peak is not exactly wrong because he does reference Randall Harley, and I have to throw it over to, to our friend. Aziz from History of Westeros, who I believe is in in the chat still. Mm-hmm. And he has a, a great, he, he talked really strongly about this when he did his episode on the Advanced Dragons epilogue from several, several years ago. And when she talked about like how much Randall Tarly is protesting, like Everything. if it is John Kyneton, if it is Aegon Conqueror. Wink, 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 wink. Me, me thinks Lord Randall Tarley protests it too much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Connington makes this point that he's starting to send out letters to potential friends and likely allies, as he says in The Griffin Reborn. And that's, in my opinion, one of those letters might have ended up in in the hands of Lord Randall Tarley, who, by the way, is really, really pissed off that he's basically been written out of any of the gains that his overlords, the Tyrells, have gained from siding with. Yeah. Ministers, right? He wanted his, Braywater Keep, right? he wanted a Brightwater. I mean, he it's not made explicit, but his it's his wife who's a uh who's a Florent, right? Yeah. I'm not mistaken. So she should have been if the, the rest of the Florence were disinherited because of their um their support for Stannis eventually, mm-hmm. then he his wife, who was not disinherited, should have gained access to the castle, which means that his son, Lord Dickon Tarly, the, the Dickon, Dick. <laughs> dick Tarly, that fucking dick, um, would have likely inherited the castle. But instead, the Tyrells have staked uh, Garland Tyrells as gaining that castle. So they're going to have a, a cadet branch of House Tyrell uh, per- provided they all survive, uh, that'll be ruling Brightwater keep down the road, right? Now it doesn't look extremely likely. Um, the other aspect too, so Randall Tarley seems like a likely candidate because he has a lot of grievances. And additionally, like he's always been, Mace Terrell has always stolen the glory that that uh, Randall Tarley has rightfully earned on the battlefield. You know, it's Mace Terrell who goes around bragging about how he beat Robert Baratheon. Did he? At that, did he though? But didn't, no, he did not. Because absolutely of, not. Because it was Randall who actually- Randall the Vandal. The Randall the Vandal, um, driving the van. I don't know if you ever heard that old uh, fan joke um from like the 15 van? years ago oh my god the, the, right so the at a convention a bunch of people were talking about uh how randall tarley was driving like a van like a ford van it, into the battle and so, it, it's it's stupid but it's, it's a fun little piece of uh, fan travel of the fandom oh yeah <laughs> but but mace Terrell has stolen all of the glory that randall tarley has Rightfully yeah. earned is also Brace Braestrella stolen the castles, stolen quotation marks the castles that um the that Randall Tarly should have inherited. And now like Randall's making his own moves. He's he's betrothed his son Dickon to uh, one of those one of those houses that's in the, in the Crownlands. Um uh fuck what well, the, the one was up. the yeah there was it was the knight, the Kingsguard knight that was with there not the Kingsguard knight, but the one knight who is an ally of, of Rhaegar's from Robert Robert Baratheon. uh Mooton Eleanor Mooton. There you go. No. So the Mooton. So he's, he's has Eleanor so he's he's making his own political moves Mm -hmm. and i think another one of his moves is going to be also, in order to join in, to join Young Griff, we can talk about how that might happen. Uh, but that's just the overall. The other aspect too is there's another Lord in the mix as well, and that's a Lord by the name of Mathis Rowan. Mathis Rowan is interesting because it's not indicated in the text itself, but in the uh, World of Ice and Fire app, which George R. R. Martin answered hundreds of questions on behalf of about over lunch. Over lunch, I've grumbled about it apparently, <laughs> according to his. Uh,
0: I, yeah. I would love to see that meeting where he's just sitting down with Elio and Linda, and he's just like trying to get through his favorite tacos at the restaurant he really. Like, in santa fe and they're like okay so we need to go over all these things and he's like well i've got my tacos uh.
1: <laughs> you and your george voices they're so good oh man um, but mathis rowan so this is, is revealed in the world vice and fire app he has been left behind at storms yeah. and by mace terrell so he is sitting there with a Token force, no, basically. No, yeah, just to uh, stay behind, maybe a few thousand men just sitting there and keeping storms and invested in siege. It Really doesn't take a lot of soldiers to keep uh, two hundred, maybe three hundred of Stannis' of loyalists. We'll I mean, talk about that. Uh, Renly loyalist with a Stannis loyalist captain. We we shall see, sir. But mm-hmm. we'll we'll have debate here in a little bit. Um, and, and around this the, the, that castle, Mathis Rome is interesting too because he was he has been a supporter of Mace Tyrell, but it's interesting in a storm of swords because when Tywin Lannister is talking about um how baby Aegon had been killed and like it wasn't actually our work it was uh it was um who was it again oh yeah it was uh it was it was it was that guy amory Lord who did yeah amory Lorch is the bad guy sure and then it had to be done and i think teary makes the note that mathis roland looks fit to gag so he's another potential person they could split away as well sure i know that some folks have also talked about other houses the oak Harts might be in the mix as a friend in the reach you also have other houses to, i just people have mentioned people like the um like, like the high like the the people in Old Town, the houses surrounding Old Town Beesbury yeah. and some of these other houses. But like Hightower, I just don't see. Hightower's not doing anything. No, they're Except not Except getting shit. their ass kicked by the Ironborn. And, and, exactly. Their, their, their storyline coincides with, with Eurons. I don't think they're going to have really much of a, a say when it comes to um when it comes to the eventual alliances that Aegon is going to make with with his friends in the reach. So I think like that's that's the my overall take about the the friends in the reach. But I think it's also interesting too that Connington mentions that he has friends and potential allies in the Stormlands too. And I'm, I'm curious, I mean I, I know like we, we we're going on and on about these houses who could potentially align with, with mm-hmm. Aegon, but I figured out about Reach houses specifically but I figured I would toss over you. you think there's any Stormlands houses that are potentially eager to join up with with Aegon's side?
0: Well there's definitely um some local ones and that would be the old cadet branches of House Baratheon that are still out there. So there's House Boiling I think they're called or Bo- I forget how to pronounce it. And then there's another one on Cape Wrath where these are um bastard houses that may they become essentially their own houses within um within the Stormlands sworn to the Baratheons, but as far as everyone else is concerned they are. They have the Baratheon bloodline. Everyone knows they do. It's just, you know, they're not the main family. It's the same as the. Um, I mean, you see it all the time. It's like, uh, what's a what's a perfect example of a bastard house? Like a lot of people thought, think that if John had not joined the Nights Watch, eventually he might have gotten his own house and a keep somewhere. He would not be yeah. a Stark anymore. He'd be something else. That kind of thing happened. Or um, Stark
1: essentially, that kind of deal.
0: Yeah, it's that kind of thing. Th- those are definitely on the table. Uh, lords that very much would look at Storm's End and think, hey, maybe I could be the ones to give you this, especially since they're uh, so close by. Um, the problem, I think, with Connington is that he thinks this comes up in The Griffin Reborn, where he shows back up in his dad's castle and he recognizes people, but they don't recognize him anymore. They either yeah. think he's dead or they don't care about him or they never did. And I'm wondering, I'm I'm guessing that that's how a lot of the Stormlords are going to feel. They're going to be like, Connington, we thought you were a dick when you were a teenager. <laughs> we think you're a dick now. Like, we were friends with you because you had Rhaegar's ear. We weren't friends with you because we like right. you. And also, a lot of the um, Stormlords that he would consider probably his vassals now were split off as punishment. Connington's went from a lordly house to a knightly house. So those guys aren't going to help him. He's probably overplaying his hand, and in terms of the the reach, there's two things that are that are going to come up here. Uh, one, the, some houses are not going to like Young Griff's faction if they ally with the Dornish. The Reacher Lords, mm-hmm. I mean the Marcher Lords, are gonna be very unhappy about that development with Ryan showing up. But also, if you look at the houses that you mentioned, all those houses are Garth Greenhand houses, which House Tyrell is not. There has always been this um this tension between the Tyrells and their vassals that when they were raised by Aegon the Conqueror after the death of the Gardeners, the Garth Garth Greenhand houses were like, these these dickheads, these um up jump servants have no historical ties to the reach back to Garth Greenhand like all the rest of us do. So you know the Rowans, the Tarleys, the um, the Florence, the um, the high towers, all these houses, claim heritage back to this one character the Tyrells do not and basically ever since they came into power those houses have been scheming against them essentially saying like they don't have a right to high garden they don't have a right to house gardener seat we do and that may be a, a a very subtle way of trying to tease out which houses are likely to go against the Tyrells it would be the old blood versus the new blood the old money versus the new money The old money houses in the Reach very much want to see the Tyrells fall
1: on their face. I think it's a great point. And, you know, I was rereading the Arianne 2 sample chapter from from The Wind's and Arianne visits Castle Mistwood, which is run by House Mertens. And Lady Mertens is this great character that, that George writes, just pops in for a hot second. And shout out to Micah, who's the the minor character <laughs> guru when it comes to all things minor character. But Lady uh, Lady Mertens is there, and she talks about the, her final parting words to Ariane after she's been like, yeah, like the Golden Company came in, they stole our food, and they raped our, our women. And so yeah, no, I'm not really like super invested in in, in supporting these guys. Mm-hmm. And then what? And her final words to Ariane are: If you see John Kyneson, you let him know that I knew his mother, and she would be ashamed of him if she <laughs> knew what he was doing. Yeah, and I'm like. Boom. Like that's that. I think, so I think you're, you're right. And that's something I was hoping you would talk about, because I think Connington's Connington is being a little bit is having a little bit of dissonance, cognitive dissonance when it comes to like whether these he's going to have any any friends anymore, because all of his friends, as you were saying, are those that were tied in with Rhaegar. Right. And Rhaegar constantly coming down through the Stormlands into Dorne and different things like that contribute to them meeting each other, of course, and to John 19 volume love with Rhaegar and then down the road unrequited love of course and then down the road to um you know John it's like John Connington serving his hand of the king and then having being dis- dispossessed by by eras and then after the war having house Connington reduced like nine tenths of their lands went went away so to speak so uh, mm-hmm. we're not they went away they were parceled out to loyalists to to mm-hmm. Robert Barrat. so any friends that John Connington thinks that he has from 281 AC likely are not his friends anymore and those that and many of them are also potentially dead as well that's that's the other aspect too when we when the real melancholy in in collington's chapters in a dance with dragons is one he's dying obviously and two Mm -hmm. he's been away for so long and he's just been he's thinking that he can return back to the way that things were before robert's rebellion and that's just not the case Mm -hmm. like the entire political landscape of westeros has changed in those 19 years since since he was exiled by Eris turkarian and then and died according to everyone else uh, they've let him go Right. They've right. all, they've all moved on. I mean, can you imagine like if a friend of yours, I mean, I'm trying to think something, I'm, I'm 36 years old now. Connington returns in 301 after being in exile for 18 years, just doing this stupid monkey math uh, right now. If, if I admit, no, if like a friend of mine from when I was 18 years old, showed up and was like, it's a me, my, your friend. I don't know. I didn't even have any friends. Did you have team. friends? Um, it, no, not really. Yeah. <laughs> not, not really. I got into college when I, I had, I had a, a, a weird period. Cause I was, anyways, long story. Long costure's tale. No, costure's tale. Yeah um showing back up be like it's me let's get let's go let's get back to like taking the iron throne for this this kid it's aegon right there he's right there the guy that you no i think a lot of these people are going to be like ah uh, no we'll, well good luck on all that if you end up like doing well in your coming battles well, we'll It's talk in my again. favor if 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 i can like get something out of it maybe and you're looking victorious and like you're going to be triumphant in your coming campaign then yeah let's 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 get a beer but before that, though, I'm going to either, uh, the other aspect, too, is that some of these lords are just not present, right, in, in the mm-hmm. Stormlands right now as well. That's another aspect. Very few of these lords are, are are there. I think they only mentioned one by name. That's old Lord Whitehead, of course, has Adam decided. Whitehead, yeah. Sir Adam Whitehead, who of course is the the a fan extraordinaire of *Song of Ice and Fire*, who runs the the blog, the pop culture blog, but also has some *Song of Ice and Fire* stuff called mm-hmm. the um, called *Brick Zone*, and also, also the *Atlas of Ice and Fire* as well. If you hear any bang, that's my children upstairs. I think they're uh, they're building something. I don't know what, probably a, probably a tower of some sort.
0: Brand the Builder up there. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so to add on to that, not only C- uh, Connington very much feels deeply that he failed the rebellion. I mean, that he failed the loyalists at um, at Stony Sept, and he's he's not the only one that thinks that way. A lot of the uh, Targaryen loyalists curse Connington's name for letting Robert escape, which then, as uh, Connington lays out, led to Rhaegar dying, which led to the sack of King's Landing. So it's not like he's a conquering, amazing hero who was widely beloved and is yeah. known for being an astounding commander that's going to win anything. He's He's got a bad reputation. And on top of that, he showed up with the Golden Company. And everyone knows what it means when you show up with the Golden Company. They're going to be dispossessing lords, which means, as Howden Halfmaester lays out, you have less to give out, my lord. These everyone in the Golden Company is going to want their seats back and they're going to want more. So I don't, where are you getting your support from? It's it's it seems like it's most going to be tar- carved out of Tyrell
1: lands. Right. And I, and I think like the, the Storm Lords and and those Knights of Summer, as we'll talk about here in a bit, uh, those folks are are primarily swayed by by victory. Right. They always mm-hmm. tend, to, tend to chase the royal Claimant who is appearing victorious, and then when they stops appearing victorious, they immediately switch to the next person. Yeah. So as you know, as Davos says to Stannis in, in Clash of Kings, Davos, two uh, a moon ago or a year ago, they were Robert's men. A moon ago, they were Renly's men. Now they're yours. Who will they follow next? I ask. And you know, these 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 guys are, are all skilled warriors. A lot of them have had a lot of battle experience, either in Robert's Rebellion if they're a little bit older, the Greyjoy Rebellion if they're middle agedish, and. More recently in the War of the Five Kings. But who are they fighting for? Renly, Stannis, Joffrey, Tommen. You know, the, these folks are i have not fought on behalf of the, Targaryen, of the Targaryens at any point in time. So that's, uh, mm-hmm. it, it leads to to a place where, you know, you're, you, where, where you're kind of, Connington kind of seems like he's on the loose side. He, even though he's walking into victory after easy victory so far, things are only going to get tougher for John Connington and the Golden Company. And again, you bring up a really good point too about all these people from the golden company who have adopted westerosi names and bastard names and even like trueborn lord lordly names and noble titles they're going to be looking for to retake their castles and lands mm-hmm. so clinton and young griff have to target potential allies and friends in those that they can have a reasonable chance that they don't have someone in the golden company who wants to really take that castle yeah. from this lord um which makes it a, makes it kind of a delicate walk and balance for for these guys is, as they're waltzing into Westeros so far. Um the question is whether they're gonna have enough time to really do that before De Niro shows up, but that's that's very
0: we're gonna we'll question. get we'll get to yeah. that one in a bit. But yeah, there there's a there's some big problems there. Um so uh, I think the next thing I want to bring up, and this is the influence and the, the wild card in this entire situation that George has inserted just so beautifully. And it's going to blow up every one of the plans of Connington and Varys, homeless Harry Strickland, all of them. And that is named Ariane Martell. Ariane is going to absolutely destroy all these great plans. But why? Why is she going to do this? Well, Ariane has been sent by Prince Duran in order to you know just go check out this Targaryen would be see if he he is who he th- who he says he is Ariane has her own objective here and that is as she, as laid out very explicitly in her chapters she doesn't want her father to make matches for her she wants to make them for herself she wants to amass her own power she's tired of living in quentin's shadow and duran's and wants to step out into the light, kind of like her, kind of like a uh, Dornish Cersei, almost, where there's a real ambition for power that she feels that she can use. Um, well, her sexuality and the fact that she's not married to uh, push forward. The problem is, um, as John Connington says to Heldon Halfmeister, Aegon cannot or young Griff cannot marry why because Daenerys is coming and Daenerys has dragons and the only thing they have that Daenerys would want is possibly a marriage to young Griff so no matter what throughout all of this young Griff cannot get married he cannot fall in love he cannot be seduced by anybody he basically has to be kept in a sexual bubble. No women can get near him. Unfortunately, Aryan Martell is extremely good at breaking those bubbles, breaking vows, and getting herself in the places she's not supposed to. And when you look at the pact that Aryan that is now aware of between House Targaryen and the Dornish, it's very likely that she's going to go beyond what Duran told her to do. And when she sees young Griff and the, the chances and the, uh, the conquest they've made. And how good their chances are of unseating Cersei, I don't think there's any shot in hell that Aryan does not say, I'm going to seduce this 15 year old or 16 year old, whatever he is and use him to
1: rule Westeros through. And that fucks up everything. That's a, that's a fantastic point. And I, and I think like this is this is one of those things that I don't think a lot of people see coming in the Winds of Winter and that there's a, going to be a major conflict between Jon Connington and Aryan Martell. So I I think people broadly agree that Arian Martell is going to end up marrying young Griff. And they think that's going to be a a major event that's going to propel Dorne into the war. All well and good. Which neither of the the sides in charge want. Young Griff's side doesn't want that. Neither does Durant. They don't want this. Arya does. Correct. correct. Uh, people are saying that Young Griff is eighteen in in the books. What Matt has alluded to is that uh, Young Griff—he's a son of. Well, if he's a Blackfyre, is probably. not. Oh yeah. Like, if he,
0: if he's not act, if he's a Blackfyre pretender, then his age is unknown. If he's supposed to be Aegon, son of Rhaegar, then he's actually like fifteen or
1: sixteen. Right. Exactly. So, getting back to to and, and young and young and young Griff and and Jon Connington. So. The entire plan, as it hinges, hinges right now on the Golden Company establishing a foothold in the Stormlands and holding out for Daenerys, the Unsullied and her dragons to come behind. And then for Arya and then for young Griff and Daenerys to get together and get married and conquer Westeros with dragons together. Mm-hmm. In, in a way, Jon Huntington has not advanced quite beyond the original plot. no. That was Illyrio's, the fifth or sixth in, in, iteration of Illyrio's plot in order to conquer Westeros with, with Aegon Targaryen. Targaryen. <laughs> uh, Aegon Blackfire. The mm-hmm. the aspect is that um, Arianne is showing up and Arianne not only has her own ambitions, which are very present there, but she's also been, you know, Dora Martell has told Arianne Martell like, actually, you are originally going to be the queen of Westeros. <gasps> Sarah's Targaryen. And now you're going to be king and queen together. Mm-hmm. But no, no, I'm not do that anymore. I'm so sorry. You're just going to have to settle for being the princess of Dorne after I die. Because Quentin is going to be the king of Westeros. Because he's going to marry Viserys' sister. In the yeah. Talk about like unintended consequences for Dora Martell. Dora Martell attempt, was attempting to, and, and I've got a lot of criticisms of Dora Martell, but in this moment, Dora Martell was attempting to instruct Arianne about what the plan was and why like she's been led to her entire life. And he finally like lets in and gives her like what the original plan was and mm-hmm. how it stands right now. The issue is that Daenerys is not in Westeros. She's still back in the Dothraki Sea at the end of A Dance of Dragons. She's not going to be in Westeros for potentially all of the winds of winter. Arianne's still being ambitious and now knowing that she is the person that was originally going to be the queen of Westeros, likely is going to reach out for that queenship as, as in, in a new context in the form of identifying young Griff mm-hmm. as the king and her as the queen. And of course, too, she is still, even by Ariane's second chapter, she's still jealous of Quentin Martell and still thinking that he is attempting to usurp. Ah, well, her, player, like, her mind is like gone from Quentin was trying to steal the Prince of Dornship from me to being like Quentin Martell is trying to steal my queenship from me because yeah. he's going Daenerys is going to be the queen. Not going to happen on my watch. So I think you're absolutely right that Aryan is going to go against her father's will. And we already see that at the end of her second Arianne chapter from The Winds of Winter because... Dorian Martell simply wants her to go north, to observe what's going on, and to send him letters back so that he, Dorian Martell, can make the decision. Arianne is already going against that because she's like, I'm going up to Storm's End, you can't fucking stop me, Sir Damon Sand. I can do whatever I want because I'm in charge here. And he really can't stop her. The only person who could really counteract her orders is Doran Martell and he's not there. So he is, she's superseding her orders already and already exuding that ambitious streak that we saw in her Feast for Crows chapters that she was, you know, the she's, queen maker. She, uh, queen, right, as being the queen maker. Now she's her queen making bot is for herself. She's going to make herself the queen of Westeros by attempting to this sail up with with Aegon. So I think it's going to be a definite seduction uh, of young Griff in, in in The Winds of Winter by, by and I think John Kyneton's going to be like, this is terrible. This this is just so terrible. Like, stop. Don't do-. <laughs> Everything's going astray because this Dornish woman's showing up and she's
0: way too sexy. George, why did you write her like this? And she's going to seduce right. everybody. That's her move. She seduced Ares O'Kart. She went after Balin Swan. She's not going to stop. She tries to do Damon
1: Sand in her wins of Winter yeah. chapters. Like, oh, well, we could, we could make out, right? And, she, and he's like, no, <laughs> I'm not stupid. Uh, he's apparently the only one that someone might be stupid and that's that
0: someone might be young griff
1: um even if it's not just uh even it's not just her like seducing aegon she might hold over him being like if you we do not get wed there is no alliance between us oh that's true she could lie yeah all of those soldiers that you know are massing in the prince's past in the bone way they're not fucking marching until we get married because i am not going to release these men to join your service until you agree to to wed me and mm-hmm. to make me in fact as well as a name so i think that's i mean it's it's a brilliant it's a brilliant thing i think a lot of people have not really seen how complex this relationship is going to be in the wins winner and then factor in john connington too and him being like oh no please don't don't do this this is bad <laughs> It's just going to be, it's its going to be great. And also, um, you know, and I'm sorry, I know I'm monologuing a lot. And I'm going to turn back over to you just just one, just a second. Um, and I apologize, man. I know this is your stream and I'm just, it's our stream, away. Jeff. Oh yeah, that is our stream. Yes. Cause we're, you know, we're making a, we're making a little stream here. Friends. Yeah. Um, but um, the other aspect too, is that uh, I just lost my train of thought. Oh, John Connington, when he's thinking about Ilya Martell, right? Yeah. He really does like Ilya Martell. He thinks her. that she's trash because she wasn't strong enough for Rhaegar like I was. Uh, but the reality is that you know she had significant health issues that that John Cunnington was misogynistically being like yeah, fuck her for for being a woman god and for not being a Barrymore sons god what a stupid fucking woman and I think he's going to end up end up transposing or maybe not transposing I'm trying to think of the right word um, translating so to speak or, yeah. or tra- let's mm-hmm. go transposing things right? transposed right. Ilya Martel onto Arianne and like being like taking those same emotions that he felt about Ilya Martel and feeling them about Arianne about her not being strong enough for his yeah. silver purse anyways those are just a few thoughts about Arianne, Arianne Young Griff and John Cunningham which I think is a great complex relationship and that dynamic is something I'm really looking forward to being explored in the winter it
0: gets even more complicated because Haldon Halfmeister says to Connington well Young Griff can't marry her okay fine we're saving him for uh for daenerys but john you could you're gonna be the lord of griffin's roost again you have no children um you're unwed why don't you marry somebody maybe this Ariane martell person when she shows up i mean i don't think they actually mentioned Ariane, but he like you can marry somebody and connington internally goes oh shit why well not only does he have grayscale and he's gonna die but also, um, Connington is, um, well, he's in love with Rhaegar still. He's in love, like, romantically in love with him. Connington I mean, is, yeah. is, is uh, bisexual or homosexual, one of the two. He does not want to get married to anybody. He wants the Silver Prince back. And it's very likely that part of Connington's human heart and conflict with himself is that, as you were saying, well, he doesn't like Elia If he thinks of Elia as Arianne, and then he's put in a situation where, um, he tries to essentially jump on the grenade that is Arya and Martel to marry her in order to seal this alliance. Well, that's going to be something very hard for him personally to do. That's going to be denying a fundamental part of his personality, and he's not going to want to do that. But he can't tell anybody that. These are all secrets he has. And it's going to make their conquest even harder than it has to be. It may end up forcing um, young Griff and Ariane together. And this is also very much, it reads like a redux of Rob Stark and Jane Westerling. Mm. I think that's what George is going for here. This is, that story is playing out again, except Ariane Martel is probably more ambitious than Jane Westerling, although we don't really know. We know that uh, Sybil Spicer is pretty, yep. pretty into it. We don't think, I don't think Jane Westerling is in on it. Aryan is sure, absolutely gosh. in on whatever she's doing so that's going to be a big problem for this going forwards and actually this is something that we've talked about in the past um, why would this work like why, why is young Griffs going to be so vulnerable to R.N. Martell and this came up in a infamous famous post I wrote in the years past called what exactly does a soiled septus uh, teach and the, the thrust of that theory which I wrote at uh, on work break because I was bored and I thought it was funny um, was basically well, Septa mm-hmm. Lamore is a highly sexual character, and she spends a lot of time with young Griff on their own in her cabin. And Tyrion sort of clocks her for being like, well, she's, her behavior is really unusual for Septa. Maybe she has like a secret double life. And I said, well, what if she used to be a sex worker? And. <laughs> um this is sort of a known problem with um with boy lords basically and that is hormones the the fact is that uh teenagers fall in love or fall in lust pretty easily and do stupid shit and young griff has essentially lived his life in a bubble where he has various has been like oh well he's been with the common people he knows all about the world he knows nothing of the world he knows the little construction of like the, the bubble and the shy maid and Illyrio's palace and Pentos and that's basically it. So he has no he probably has no experience with women who aren't servants or serving him and have like legitimate sexual interest in him and are trying to seduce him. He might not have those defenses. So my theory, which is kind of funny, but maybe true, I'm not not really sure. It's still it's parts of it still rings true. Is that basically something more? Not only was she teaching him in the face, she was teaching him how to essentially um, be be a sexual being and to like understand. Yeah, fuck as well, but also like understand seduction. And when people come at you and all this stuff and it's like because he doesn't have that and he is just like a babe in the woods comparatively to Arianne Martell. And that leaves him, much like Rob Stark, at a huge disadvantage as a would-be king.
1: Yeah, I you know your your theory was one that I I think you did that back in 2016, right? It was a long time ago. 2016, 2017, so it was many 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 years ago that that's was this this theory was, was percolating up and <laughs> percolating up. Wow. Um, Yikes. It, it's 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 really I think it's a really good theory. I disagree with it, but I think it's a really good theory. Uh, there's a lot of stuff like that. I mean, you I'm that sure all like, the time. yeah. You you reread a the theory like for me my, my famous example is is the grand Northern conspiracy where I'm like this is really well thought out and organized and i agree with some of the aspects of it and, I, and i'll talk about an aspect to agree with you in one in moment one moment here but i think like it, it you know it, it causes me to think because what i ended up doing for that from taking your theories i'm like oh i, I just I, I can write my own theory about this and so i i come to lamore with a little with a little bit of a different theory and with one commonality in that i think lamore is truly a sex worker mm-hmm. uh as she she does have zero compunction about being naked um mm-hmm. as, as, Tyrion notices because it's of course she's also very attractive. Very attractive, a very handsome woman, as Tyrion says in *In a Dance with Dragons* two, mm-hmm. three. But the a- aspect about it for me is that I thought this might be indicating something else. And this is this is probably the most tinfoil of the theories that I typically go in for. That I think like Lamor has a bond with Aegon, but it's not this sexual bond per se. It's a bond of and get ready for this. It's a bond of mother <gasps> and son. Yes. Gross. You heard that right. Gross. I think I think Lamora's actually Sarah Mopatis in disguise yes. oh, what? Yes. Uh, and and the reason why why I think this is is a couple reasons one, Labore seems very in, invested in aegon in a role that is a little bit more than simply being an, an advisor to him like she has takes care of the kid shows real concern for his safety at various points in, in the lost Lord it's it's she has an argument at, at with with John Connington about mm-hmm. taking aegon in to go see the golden Company um because she thinks that that's it's it's a dangerous course of action and yeah it is. She's not wrong, but the boy still has to go there, or, or that won't end up ha- happening. The other aspect too is that when they arrive in Selhoras in a *Dance with Dragons* in, in *Junk* and in *The Lost Lord*, it's noted really intentionally. When it, it, it just really stuck out to me that Lamore shows up and she quote changes into garbs befitting that of a of a merchant's wife. Yes, or that effect, or, fact, or, or mm-hmm. daughter. Who is the greatest merchant that we've met so far? In, oh in the cheesemonger like, cheesemonger there you go there you go illyrio mopatis uh being the the person and then and i and i even if you don't believe that sarah is is lamor and i understand that's a little bit out there i do think the idea that illyrio and sarah are the parents of young griff is is more a, a little bit more of a grounded theory which has a, a bit more support mm-hmm. in it I, I tend to see to see that as being the dynamic between the two i, I, I think it's likely that maybe uh, let us the same way that illyrio does not let on that he's Aegon's father that you know that the that might have the same dynamic of not letting Aegon know that he's 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 she's her mom she's yeah. his mom
0: they can never uh, let him know that he's not Aegon Targaryen he they have to keep the lie no matter what
1: exactly that's and that brings up a great point which is that I, at, at no point does young Griff believe that he's anything but the son of Rhaegar Targaryen and Elia Mar- Martell mm-hmm. and that's so important for him and that is made very explicit in the Lost Lord again where Connington talks but the plans were made alone by Varas, Illyrio, and, um, and Blackheart Toyne. So there's a really a limited number of people who know the truth about things. But that also means that in order to keep this lie afloat, you only have three people knowing and you have to keep telling the lie and, sh- and letting you know that um and letting young Griff know that he is, oh, yes, you are absolutely Aegon the six soon to be the Sixth of his name, mm-hmm. Targaryen. So I think like it's different ways to look at the relationship between the more and, and young Griff. But I, I again, for me, I am, I'm, I'm with you in well, your theory. Like, I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I think it's interesting. It's, it's a good way and funny way of looking at, it. I, I kind of feel the same way. I'm not like, I mean it was a fun, it
0: was a, a comedy theory, but there, there's that little pearl yeah. of truth there that yes, Aegon is a, is a teenager. Who's about to have a lot of power and women are going to be throwing themselves at him. And he is, not prepared for that he's prepared for everything else but they forgot about the whole you know the fact that he's a teenage guy and that he's gonna have a lot of power he's gonna be very he is attractive on his own right but now he's gonna be super powerful and they just sort of forgot it's like they forgot the social aspect of his education there's like well the and being around um uh what's their what's her name the um the wife on the It's like that that would be fine right that, that mm-hmm. covers it that covers social interactions with uh girls and women his own age and it's like you have no idea what you've done to this kid
1: <laughs> right right exactly uh sarah from the chat brings up the point of what about the hands that illyrio has um remember he says talks about how you know his wife sarah had grayscale, and then she, he he took her hands in order to remind rub them and encase them in glass and stuff like that. Interesting to note about that is that Tyrion never actually sees the hands. Illyria just says it, and Tyrion's like, okay, I mean, that's weird, but whatever. I'm, like, fucked up and weird and nihilistic now, so we're driving on. Um, I do think that that's a, that's a possibility. It just seems so, yeah, just, just just as a way for Illyria to be like, yes, I, I, I she's absolutely dead. You know, I, I have her hands. You want to come see them? Please, please don't weird say thing it. to say, but sure. Yeah, really weird, weird weird thing to say. So, anyways, driving on.
0: Yeah, uh, hang on a second. Um Aaron... Uh M, one of my patrons, just said she sent me a PayPal, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, I was just looking for that real fast. Um yeah, they could be anybody's hands. Um uh, sorry about this. Um no, hasn't it showed up anyway? So um there is there are a few other things here, but I thought we would we, we would uh skip ahead a little bit. We talked about the Nights of Summer a little bit, uh John Connington and Ty we talked about a little bit. So I thought we should move on to uh the mm-hmm. storm's end aspect of this. This is actually what why this collaboration of co-workers came about. And this is because um my video how Aegon will take Storm's End was inspired directly by Jeff's um his uh series blood of the conqueror and in particular yep. the um by the way thank you jeff that was a great series um it's it's posed as a question in the arian sample chapters that and also in the griffin reborn where essentially george goes connington has a plan to take it you see in arian two i think in the winds of winter he has done it but he never reveals how and he sort of left this open oh that thing just showed up um and it's and it's a mystery for the reader so far so how exactly did connington do this Because George lays out. um, Oh, (laughs) Aaron asks, why is um, why Lamar? why L'Amour is not a Shardane. She's not a Shardane because a Shardane is either dead or in the neck. I mean, that's basically the truth of it. Chloe has nailed that one down. If she's alive, George wants to make her alive. She's probably with Howlin' Reed. I think that's completely true. Also, um, a Shardane has purple eyes and Tyrion never forgets a hot girl. So if it was a Shardane, he would
1: re- he would recognize her. And also too, like there was a con appearance where someone said right after Dance of Dragons, wait a minute. So a uh, Shardane, is she L'Amour? And George just like looked at the <laughs> person was like I, apparently either like gave no response or like indicated that
0: it yeah it's happen. not it's, it's fine she's probably several past but anyway uh back to the the the, the video itself my video is an attempt to solve that equation like what did connington do and i said um he overcame the hurdles so the big hurdles are obviously you can't assault storm's end or you can't without losing everybody and it would take a long time which is why Stannis obviously uses Melisandra in order to take it it's got 80 foot walls, they're thick, I think there's two of them. A supremely fortified castle gate, it's protected by the backdrop of the sea in Shipbreaker Bay, it has enormous stockpiles of food. Basically the only way George is saying to get in is if somebody lets you in. Or if you find some secret passage to get in, um, it's kind of similar. Uh, Game of Thrones did this in um, season seven or eight when Tyrion, uh, gave the gave Daenerys the way into Castle Rock. He's like, "I built this back door for me to have sex with women or uh, have sex with sex workers." And so that's basically what's going on here. There has to be a secret way that Connington knows to get the garrison to open the gates. Um, he also talks about in the Griffin Reborn. He's like, "Oh yeah, look at all these secret passages in Griffin's Roost," and that might be some light Foreshadowing that Connington has some that maybe he knows about the secret secret postern gate in storms and the same one that Davos used and that's how he plans to get in. Although the problem being nobody's gonna open the door for John Connington, Lord of griffin's roost They're definitely not opening it for the Golden Company hired by Young Griff. So and obviously Connington does not have Melisandre. He does not have a shadow baby drone strike as we are to say. So how exactly is he going to get the defenders of Storm's End to
1: open the gates for him? By Guile, of course. By Guile? <laughs> in the Griffin Reborn, which of course can mean anything, which is where this is a, a great, I think, underexplored aspect of, of, of Wednesday winter theorizing, which I think uh, you did a great job in, in, in your video. I, I think I, I have a different idea, but that's, that, that's totally fine. I, I think the, the possibilities are, are endless for, for how George is going to accomplish this. I, I think, you know... It's the how, right? Mm-hmm. It's not the what. Everybody's like wondering like what happens at the end of the battle of fire? What happens when Stannis meets the Freys and Bolton's on and the battle of the ice lakes in the north, the eventual battle for Winterfell. Mm-hmm. Nobody is talking about, I mean, the people are do talk about that. Me and how, you were so. talking about this. <laughs> talking about, yeah, right. But the how is more important. I think it's an interesting distinction between these major battles that are going to occur early in the winds winter, as George has talked about when marine the battle against you between Euron and the red wine fleet those are the what's the how is the battle of storms End? how G- George, how how conington ends up taking those about to george r martin how john <laughs> ends up taking storms End? and i think this is interesting because of a couple reasons one john Connington is indicating that he has a plan in place it's not something that he is going that he's planning on whipping up as soon as he arrives at storm's end mm-hmm. two george r. r martin after he published a dance with dragons made an appearance at WorldCon in 2011, August 2011, in which he stated that, you know, I, I can't do your George voice. I'm going to do my wow Oh, own well, well, right. well, you know, I... We've always seen Storm's End under siege. We've, we've always heard about it, but we've never actually seen a battle occur out there. So I'm actually now going to write a battle chapter that's depicting the Battle of Storm's End. So this was not something that George was originally planning for The Winds of Winter when he closed out a Dance with Dragons, but he goes back, I'm assuming, at some point, or someone suggests to him, like, hey, George, what's going on with the Battle of Storm's End? You should really write that chapter. He's like, wow, that's a really good idea. I'm trying to do that, George. I have <laughs> <laughs> George has that beard he can stroke there. Um, so he, he, he's, as he's indicated, he's going to write a, a chapter, almost certainly from the perspective of John Connington, depicting the the battle of Storm's End or what happens at Storm's End, the how of what, what goes mm-hmm. on with Storm. I, I think, you know, for, for me, a lot of my theory about how Storm's End falls to John Connington. Revolves around the character of John Kindton in question, mm-hmm. and we we talked about John Kindton being Tywin Lannister and attempting to adapt Tywin Lannister's methods to his conquest of Westeros in order to seat young Griff onto the Iron Throne. The interesting element of that is that this is framed in context of what John Kindton should have done at Stony Septback in Robert's Rebellion, mm-hmm. where he's like being like I I did everything I possibly could have in order to get. Uh, in order to capture Robert <laughs> almost everything and that's but Miles Toin basically says like yeah you didn't quite do everything and John kind of makes the comment like Tywin Lannister could have done no more and and uh, and Toyn comes back to him and says uh actually no Tywin Lannister would have done a whole lot more he would have burned the entire town to the ground mm-hmm. sorted the ashes and picked out the bones and found Robert Baratheon and then when Ned Stark and Hoster Tully came marching down he would have offered them the bones of Robert Baratheon and pardons for both of them and they would have to go back with their tail between their legs back to their homelands and the rebellion would have been over there mm-hmm. so that to me is really indicative of what's going to happen writ large with the conquest of Westeros because Connington reflects on this and says ah Miles he was not wrong I <laughs> yes he was to- oh my god John he's so wrong <laughs> You can't do war crimes, man. War crimes bad. I know, bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but but in, in Conanton's mind, he thinks that because he did not commit this war crime, because he was acting so justly, quotation marks, uh, with the residents of Stony Step, he wasn't. It was actually kind of brutal what he did. But we yeah, it. it was fucked up. It was up. Really, it really fucked up. Like putting people in like, crow cages and not giving them water or food and saying they would not be given anything until they surrendered Robert Baratheon there. <laughs> um, some people bringing up that uh, they're matching John Conanton and Miles Twain having this conversation post coitus, such as. Yeah, uh, probably. Possibly. I mean, yeah, they're both alone in the dark at night. So yeah. Yeah probably he, and then he talks about miles having that smile anyways um
0: that beautiful smile yeah sure miles yeah. Toyn had like giant ears and looked like a weirdo but thing thinks he was beautiful okay when, when he smiles
1: Oh ah, that's my um so let's let's return back to Storm's End. So Connington says he has a plan to do it by guile. Mm-hmm. And the guile that he is going to utilize, in my opinion, is going to be centered around what Tywin Lannister would do with trying to take a castle. One of the things that's become less of a less less urgent or, or it's it's still very serious, but given some certain events that have happened in recent West Rossi history, the idea of guest right as being is a little bit less than sacred, but it's still very important for people offering mm-hmm. bread and salt like that in order to gain access to a castle. So, what do you think is going to end up happening, to draw it up, because I know you want to talk about your excellent theory as well, which I think is a great theory, is that um, Connington and the Golden Company is going to show up as... The Golden Company. John Cynnington Golden Company. Whoa! Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, the, um, they're going to show up and be like, hey, what's going on, brothers? My friends in arms now, my brothers in arms, we are the golden company. Yeah, might've heard of us. Guess who hired us? No, no. Yes. Oh yes. Stannis Baratheon, who by the way, has been hiring sell swords and sell sales. And who also tells Justin Massey in the Windsor sample chapter, the Theon chapter that yes, you are going to go to Essos and hire as many sell companies as you can. Golden company, if they can be, if they can be found, mm-hmm. other companies can't be found. So, and then he'll gain access to the castle that way. Take on guest right? Cause I'm assuming these guys will probably be like, actually we'd like to offer bread and salt to you so that we don't get murdered by you guys you know we we trust you don't get me wrong but we only trust you so far Mm -hmm. Uh, and then from there kind of thing we'll take the bread and salt and then we'll promptly violate guest rate, and then murder all of the Stannis loyalists that are within the castle itself I mean there's a couple things to talk about as well like what happens with Mathis Rowan because he has that force investing the, the, the castle in siege do they get in like through the sea or something like that that's always possible they do with that ship that takes Arianne up to Stormstyn so they do have some naval power that's left over from the volunteer mm-hmm. fleet. Sailed them to Westeros but there, there's there's a couple complicating factors there but I've been talking too much that's essentially <laughs> uh, I, 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 always, I always do this I always just talk too much it's the Irish in me um, <laughs> and that, so that, that's my theory for how storms and falls but i know that your theory is is different and great at the same time
0: it also could have much of the same beats so in my theory i suggested that there's this particular passage that george wrote anew for fire and blood where oh my god the uh aegon the third his uh younger brother viserys that he thought was totally dead was actually alive in Lys, which is wow that's where edric storm is wow that's weird and then there was a really bad deal to acquire him to bring him back to forge an alliance wow that sounds like something george may be thinking about as he's writing the winds of winter like i do have edric storm or edric storm out there he nobody knows where he is but he's certainly a wild card wow what if i did the same thing here what if the fire and blood version is essentially the rough draft for what he's playing for edric especially because he basically disappeared from the page for a while and then very at the end of a dance with dragons davos goes like huh, I wonder what happened to that kid. Thinks about it like a few times, and then it shows up in the uh, the appendix at the back where it's like, oh, George makes sure to note that, oh, by the way, he didn't make it to list. He's sitting there, and that's where Varys is from, and that's where Lyson Omar are from, both spy yeah. masters. Varys has a habit of acquiring lost princes and turning them to his uses, so it's like, it certainly would make sense if if that's a something that George has been holding back that maybe that's the twist that ends up being that how y- you gain access to Storm's End because, as I noted in my video, Stannis did not replace the garrison. He just replaced the commander. He left Renley's troops in charge. And by the way, they still really like Edric. So if Edric shows up with the Golden Company in his back, it's very likely that they would say, Lord Edric, it's you. You're back. Oh, my God. Come on in. Oh, you have you have guys with you! Oh, this is perfect. Oh, we're <laughs> saved. We're saved from evil Mathis Rowan and Mace Tyrell. And then the Golden Company pushes Edric down and then slaughters the entire garrison. Yep
1: i mean uh, i i think like it's great i, I think your theory is great and I, and I talked about this when we did our, our part three mm-hmm. on us too because um i think it's a fascinating and awesome way to reintroduce edric storm into the storyline because he is lists, as we know from the dance of dragons appendix mm-hmm. he has andrew estermon and one other guy whose name i can't or two other people whose names i can't a bunch of I'm dudes talking. um somebody a fish life maybe try. i don't know yeah it's just a couple a couple of the kings men there the few that are remaining on, on to sansa's side Um, in A Storm of Swords and that's that's a really um, I think it's a really good way to introduce him back into the picture and it makes it I mean we both we're going to talk about like who's going to end up ruling Storm's Mm End or the Stormlands but I think it's a great way to seamlessly introduce him back into the narrative of A Song of Ice and Fire because he occupies a very prominent role in both the, in a clash of kings and mm-hmm. a special storm of swords and is likely going to return at some point down the road so him returning back to the stormlands that way is a good way of doing it i think like you know I think we're both of... saying the same thing though that Connington's is going to use whatever means to get
0: into the castle to completely screw over the garrison
1: right and, and i think like you know i was i was thinking about this today of, of all times so i know right um of about how like stannis took like weeks to like sit outside of storms then mm-hmm. uh, he sits there for like three or four weeks with waiting for the castle to surrender it doesn't surrender and finally he's like fine i'll just send a shadow baby against him. um but connington's like no we need to like take this now like, they, today as soon as griffin's roots to he take he's like we're gonna take 10 days to prepare to march on storms and, and we are fucking marching and we're gonna take the castle starting on the 11th day griff like connington to his military credit not his ethical one recognizes that he needs speed and he needs victories in order to mm-hmm. gain the, so he needs victories as a primary as his goal in order to seat young griff on the iron throw but in order to attain that. He needs to speed up movement. He needs to get into these castles and take them quickly. And if he takes Storm's End, as is as said in the, in the Dance of Dragons epilogue, he he knows that that would be something that would shake the realm. If mm-hmm. Storm's End castle, which has never fallen to Siege, falls to uh, the to young John, to young, not to to John Kind, to the Golden Company and young Griff, then that's going to be something that goes back to what I was referencing before. All the Storm are like, mm-hmm. yeah, hey, come back. I mean, when you get some victories on your belt. Well, uh, oh, that's the yeah. victory. That's it. You got it. That huge victory. It's like, it's why Stannis is so invested in taking Winterfell from the Boltons, because he knows that no one is going to take him seriously as king until he wins a massive victory. And the most massive victory he could win in the North is at Winterfell. And the most massive victory that young Griffin, John Cunnington, could win is at Storm's End. So that is a must to take it. Must, must, must to. You know, that's and they do at some level, whether it's. You're, you're it in, works, like, whatever it is, yeah. whatever it is, whatever the George R. Whatever is that George R. Martin has planned for this to happen. It's happening. And I'm so excited for that. That event to be going to be great. Connington chapter. I mean, like you could kind of like piece together, like how the battle of ice is going to go. Mm-hmm. You can really I mean, you can see what's going to happen with the battle of fire in some way. I mean, young Kai is going to get its ass kicked because they're already getting their ass kicked. There's going to be some particular character flavors when it comes to, to the end point of that. But Storm's End is is we know how it happens. Well, excuse me, we know what that it happens. That's the fascinating aspect is how it happens. And I'm so excited to see what George ends up doing for that in that content chapter, likely early in The Winds of Winter.
0: Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be super fascinating. By the way, I just wanted to point out, we are... If you guys, 223 people watching, 145 likes. So we are five likes away from one silly hat and 20 away from a separate silly hat. So, you know, slam that like button. I really appreciate it. Helps out the stream, helps feed the YouTube algorithm, which is very capricious and very much likes inputs. So if, you wanna, if you're enjoying the stream and me and Jeff, who apparently was commented where look like brothers, I don't believe that my head is way bigger than Jeff's. Um. Although we are both Irish, so maybe maybe there's something there. Um. Like so. Yeah. Oh, on the other side. Yeah. Slam that like button if you could. I appreciate it, you guys. So the next thing we were talking about, and we brought this up in sort of um in bits and pieces, but I, I wanted to talk about which is sort of there's a race. There's a real sense of urgency for this conquest to go quickly. And George has introduced it in a number of sort of time bombs that are ticking in John Connington's head. And um, obviously the first one is that. John Connington has contracted grayscale because he saved Tyrion Lannister. Whoops on that one. Probably shouldn't do that. Connington knows at some point it's going to kill him or turn him into a stone man. But before that, he brings this up in... Uh, oh, Jeff, go get your hat. We had 150. I thought you are getting your hat first. Mine's more than more hats. All right, fine. Jeff will be at 175. Yeah, all right. All right, there we go. I am wearing my Gandalf hat, covering up the beautiful hair. I know there you go guys thank you so much for getting to getting this one let me make it look a little better it's kind of weird and floppy um oh, that doesn't look very good okay i guess that works <laughs> i have ascended to gandalf mode joe the white i'm re- actually no i'm very white already um <laughs> anyway <laughs> uh, so like i was talking about uh, connington uh, goes further than just the whole dying part and he says in the griffin were born that basically once everyone figures out he has grayscale he is not going to be in command anymore People are going to avoid him. They're going to consider him basically like a lame duck Hand of the King. And he's like, at one point, he's like, oh, no, I'm going to have to chop off my hand. But the figurative hand is the one he's really worried about. He's going to lose being Hand of the King to young Griff. So this conquest which may benefit from different strategies connington is putting the gas to the floor it has to go fast not just for strategy wise but because for him to remain in control it's the only way it's going to work and that is a very clever way of george to essentially make sure that this plan that connington has laid out is going to suffer from quite a lot of um snap decisions which usually have
1: not gone well for John Connington in the past. No, they have not gone well for, for him at all. I think, you know, Connington, he knows he as he thinks he has a year, two years, maybe even five, you know, death, but not not death immediately. But that's what's animating his, as well as the political considerations, but what's animating his tribe to speed his plot ahead to see young Griff on the Iron Throne. Um, and then he can go lay with his fathers underneath of the, uh, underneath of the stones of, of, of Griffins roost. So it's, um, it's really... Really interesting. And I think like uh I think you you're talking in the chats about uh and people are talking about will John Cunnington lose his hand in battle like on purpose. All
0: right, I, I think he's just I'm, gonna cut it off medically he thinks about that he's like i should chop off my fingers
1: right now right but even that might not stop the spread of no. the grayscale. i think it's i think it's possible so i mean like there's there's a and I know this is, this is going a little bit long here but uh, briefly talking about like uh there's a possibility that in the winds of winter there's going to be a major battle between um John, the golden company and mace trell who is finally marching on on storm's end mm-hmm. and Ariane finds out at the end of her second chapter, uh, she is going to, she finds out the young griff is not staying behind the walls of storms and he's actually marching out mm. to meet that battle itself. So there's a possibility that we could see Connington in the midst of that battle, which I think is going to resemble the historical battle of Agincourt um, with archers and stuff like that, which is brought up over and over again. We can talk about that if you want mm-hmm. to, uh, that he could be like, Oh my God, my hand, I lost my hand. Oh, uh, Oh, bummer. Uh, oh no. Bummer. I'm really upset about this. This actually really helps me. Really good. And then I think like the really sad thing and tragic aspect for it is that you'll find Grayscale creeping up his wrist right after that, right? Mm-hmm. And then going up his arm. You know, I think that's it's not actually going to stop the spread of Grayscale but what I'm ultimately arguing. And that's going to be continue to speed Kyneton along in this more Tywin-like path to commit more brutal acts in order to speed the conquest up because he knows he has his time is growing seemingly more and more short to mm-hmm. stay on the stage. This earth, so he has to see young Griff on the Iron Throne.
0: It's actually a way that even before it's revealed, he has grey skill, This can be used against him by homeless Harry Strickland or Varys, or, um, or even uh, Young Griff himself, because Connington, obviously, as we talked about earlier, he knows he has grayscale, so he doesn't want to get married because he thinks his life is basically over at this point. He's also um, he's also homosexual or bisexual, so he doubly doesn't want to get married, but he should. He should be getting married as they get to Westeros to forge alliances for Young Griff. And it's a way that so- if somebody is unhappy with Connington's leadership, they could say, well, you're not doing everything you can why haven't you forged this alliance for us? We need this. Why aren't you doing it, John, if you're so committed? And it's he's not going to be able to answer. He's not going to have a a logical or reasonable answer for why he's refusing to help out the cause like he's asking everybody else to do. Yeah.
1: I, I think, you know, it's it's hard for, for Connington right now, knowing that he has that he has limited time and he has to keep doing these increasingly probably brutal acts. And I think, you know, there, there's a more minor one I wrote about a, a long time ago now at this point. I remember 2017 maybe which i talked about how there's a couple of his and i'm probably going to get the the family hierarchy incorrect here but his it was his cousin who was given the knighthood right it's his cousin yeah right? red ron red ron is his cousin and he has um a natural born son a bastard son mm-hmm. ronald is his name. And he has a couple of like Ronit's younger sister and like another family member who moved the relationship I'm not aware of. Mm-hmm. And that you know kind of mix this thing like he says, like when they these kids are like at the feast in, in the Griffin Reborn and they're complaining. And they're like, dude, you suck. Like, <laughs> my father, as as uh, Ronald says, when my father comes back. He is going to kill you. Yeah. And Ka- like, uh-uh, enough with you off to bed with you, sir. Um, and then work. he says, and, and, the, and the kids are crying right after he takes the castle. He says, shut up. Like if your father doesn't prove an utter fool, I will spare your lives. What is Red Ronna Connington doing in the Dance with Dragons epilogue? Declaring himself that he is no traitor. God, please, I'm not a traitor. I, I will lead the march on to recapture Griffin's roost. Yes, put me in the lead on, on the march south to uh, to retake my, my family's ancestral seed in order to throw, to, in order to, you know, kill my my cousin. Mm-hmm. So I think that that might lead to these, to Connington murdering these these kids, potentially, probably, honestly, because he, th- he basically all but threatens that he'll kill them if, if he's... Uh, <laughs> If he shows up, if Red Bronnett shows up on the battlefield against him. So that's. Um, Kinslaying. Yeah, Kinslaying. And this is a Kinslayer. It's all being yeah, driven
0: yeah. because because of the Grace Go, because he knows he can't wait. He has to do this now. And. Ronit, he would—he obviously would prefer to make peace with them and find a way for them, like maybe he would just give them another castle or something like that, but he those options are not available to him. His hands are being tied by how fast this has to go and because of the fact that his cause is the, with the Golden Company. Again, anything he takes in the Stormlands is probably being given not to other Conningtons, they're being given to other Golden Company members. That's mm-hmm. that's not going to go well f- for for um the rest of the Connington family being like you know what we'll sign on John because he can't promise them anything he's it's already gone, um, it's already gone. yeah it's like his
1: hand it's just kind of fading away like his you know I I, th- I think like I wonder whether that that hand his hand like going black and going with grayscale is, is a metaphor for how things are going to go overall for the conquest of, of Westeros oh like, yeah probably go. <laughs> well it for for a long time but eventually death. A year, two years, five years is going to come for Herb. Connington in the form of Grayscale, though We may die before he's actually de- dies from Grayscale on the battlefield or some other beans, but also death for Aegon and his his cause yeah. as well. Nary shows up for Westeros.
0: Speaking of uh, the other time bomb that we're dealing with is Young Griff himself. Um, you know, Varys mm-hmm. likes to talk a big game and say Young Griff is perfect and he's going to be the best king ever. But Tyrion winds him up pretty fast, barely trying just to amuse himself. He makes this invasion happen. The pl- Of course, as we were talking about earlier, the plan was initially to wait for Daenerys, marry Young Griff to Daenerys, the two Targaryens get on, there, get on dragons, go to Westeros, and they conquer together. Tyrion essentially, over a game of Savas, just prods Young Griff enough to make him say, fuck it, I'm king. I'm going now. I'm not waiting for anything. T- like I said, Tyrion wasn't even really trying. So... That doesn't bode well for him taking command of his conquest now. It's Connington needs to end this war fast because
1: there's an increasing chance young Griff is going to fuck it up. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's that great line that Connington says in The Griffin Reborn where he says that young Griff was a tractable boy. Prince Aegon was a different matter altogether. And like he's like increasingly growing annoyed with it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we talked about the Arianne. Aegon match. And that's likely going to be one spot where Prince Aegon, because he's no longer young Griff, is going to be going against John Connington's wishes and wills and has a mind of his own. And here's the thing: you know, much similar to how Damon Sand can't really contradict Arianna or prevent her from going to Storm's End despite him advising her not mm-hmm. to, he has no power, he has no power over Arianne. John Connington is subordinate to young Griff, to Prince Aegon now. So as he proceeds forward and keeps progressing in his arc, if he if he wins at Storm's End, and and, and we know he does. And he's alive after Storm's End. I think there's going to be a less less Coynton and more uh, and, and more Aegon at stake. And, and I kind of wonder. This is interesting too, because you know Coynton is always talking about how he needs to be more like Tywin Lannister. Mm-hmm. This reminds me so strongly of the relationship that Tywin Lannister had with Eris the Second Targaryen. Mm. Where at first, Friends and Tywin was really able to guide policy for the early parts of Aerys II's reign. But as time progressed and Aerys grew madder and grew more independent and started to started to exert himself, that Tywin was just pushed to the side and eventually was made like a laughing stock and everyone made fun of of, of Tywin in Aerys's presence because Aerys started to grow jealous of his yeah. hand of the king. You can see an aspect of that too, where Connington is being the hand of the king. And is try or hand of the king before he's actually the king. Westeros he has to take the Iron Throne all that sort of stuff. Before acting as hand of the hand of the prince, so to speak, mm-hmm. that he starts to get marginalized by Aegon, and Aegon starts to listen more to Aryanne, or listen more to Harry Strickland, or listen more to Varys the Spider, or Leson Omar, or all of these different characters that mm-hmm. are surround. And Connington starts to take a starts to get sidelined. I can't imagine if Connington's going to take that really all that well, especially given his prior exile by a Targaryen king by the II, and how that exile is just burns like a fire within him. <laughs> he hates the fact that he was that he was dishonored that way. If he starts to feel that same sense of dishonor, I wonder how Connington will react to Prince Aegon. Connington
0: really has, he has a leash on him of one loss he loses one battle, everyone's going to pounce to become the new hand of the king. So Connington has to keep winning and winning fast and effectively and just sort of keep the the momentum going. The momentum slows, everyone's going to push him to the side because nobody gives a shit about John Connington. It's Aegon they want. It's Young Griff and it's the throne. And Connington is, uh, unfortunately for himself in his position, he is currently the gatekeeper that everyone's trying to unseat. So yeah, the, the and Young Griff is not going to make that any easier. Um, so actually, this goes into the third time bomb that's going on. And this is the Golden Company itself. Almost mm. Harry Strickland doesn't think much of John Connington. Not at all. <laughs> he thinks his plans are stupid. He thinks sort of the whole plan is stupid. He doesn't like mm-hmm. these lightning attacks that Connington is pushing for. He thinks, I think correctly, that Connington's do it out of self-interest. Uh Her- Homeless Harry wants to wait for the rest of the troops. He wants to wait for his elephants. He wants to take some castles like they've done and then send letters to the realm and gain allies mm-hmm. and use the military might of the Golden Company as a tool which they aren't doing right now because they're fighting basically a guerrilla war at this point. They haven't declared themselves to everybody. I mean, we know that King's Landing knows that they're there because of the letter Connington read sent, but nobody else does. That's the whole point about shooting down the Ravens and if things start going badly the golden company is not the golden company they used to be they are not the company of bitter steel anymore they are really out for themselves at this point point. and if the war starts going badly there's a good shot that homeless harry convinces the rest of the captains that maybe we just loot the castle we we've, we've got and leave like we don't want to we don't want to die we don't want to die in westeros we can take this stuff and go and also this is brought up in the dance with dragons epilogue where I think it's harris Swift says well why don't we just buy off the golden company like surely they surely john connington bought them so why don't we do the same thing and yeah that's a big problem for connington he knows that the golden company's loyalty is contingent on winning and also that they
1: believe in the cause and homeless harry does not believe in the cause he doesn't believe in the cause because he has as kind notes he was the guy who nailed out contracts for the golden mm-hmm. company before he became the captain general mm-hmm. so he- not really interested in, in fighting. Now, I think there is a bit of an unreliable narrator at work in some of the ways that Kyneton talks about Strickland as being mm. like just getting woman-like and stuff like that because there's a couple of interesting notes. We When Kyneton comes up to the Golden Company camp outside of Atlantis, he's like, ah, the, all of the camp tents are in ordered rows. There's ditches. They have a wall up. Everything is ordered and done really, really well. Well, I mean, I think Probably some of that was from the direction of Captain General Harry Strickland. Yeah. They've Strickland, done really well she, under his to, under his rule. They've done really well and they've as Strickland notes, they they try they, they ended they they were about to go into an easy campaign where they would have won a lot of money until they were called off by Illyria to come do to break their contract with uh with Mir, right? Is that the the yeah, city state? The first contract with? they uh, ever broke. Yep. And of course, they have to break the contract for the reason of and this is why, why, why it gets so important and, and why this is so com- complex and complicated, because of the old contract, the one that was written in blood, that, as, that Illyria notes in *Tyrion: and the Dance of Dragons, which uh, is, is a major piece of the evidence for uh, for Aegon being a Blackfyre mm-hmm. or a descent black, from the female Blackfyre line or potentially being in a, a different parts of Targaryen lineage, um, but definitely a Blackfyre line. So that's, that's an aspect too. And I think Connington also notes when he comes into the camp that even though everyone is smiling at him, he knows that there are daggers behind some of the smiles that he's witnessing among these people here. So that's a, a aspect about Connington, which is going to bring him up into conflict with the Golden Company leadership. Additionally, too, we have another complicating factor and that is the form of dorm. Harry Strickland says, yeah. Yeah, we- know take these castles and loot them and if shit goes real bad we can you know sail back across the narrow sea which the logistics of it doesn't make a lot of sense to me since all the ships are currently elsewhere from volantis at at present they were all sailing on marine but that's harry strickland's idea the idea that that doesn't exist for dorne dorne martell cannot sail across the narrow sea into exile his home is in sun spirit in the water gardens if the golden company thinks that they're about to get their ass beat by the lancers or the tyrells and they start to talk about fleeing across the Narrow Sea, the donors can be like, uh-uh, uh you motherfuckers are not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Ariane's not letting saying- them go. And Ariane's being like, I am, I am fucking the shit of Aegon Tergan. And So that so the spears of Dorn can come to your side. If you want those spears to come to Aegon's side, you folks got to stay here in, in the Stormlands or up in King's Landing or wherever place they're in, they're going to be where they find, they end up meeting some challenges along the way. So there's going to be a lot of friction and tension between Connington, who is bringing forward the, who is pressing Aegon's claim Mm -hmm. versus golden company which might be more invested in the the monetary aspects or the castle aspects of in in westeros so that's so yeah that's a huge time bomb that i think is something that's completely unexamined i've really yet to see really any major analysis of what the relationship of between the high command of, of the golden company is going to be towards john connington as young griff's cause gets pressed in westeros
0: and as it starts going badly um, mm-hmm. most cell companies turn and run when they go bad or they get a new uh, they get a new master and that gets us to our fourth time bomb also by the way two more likes you guys and we'll put on different hats jeff will go get his orioles hat and i'll get my germ hat so 230 watching two more likes and we got it uh so the fourth time bomb is daenerys targaryen herself and this is she is really overshadowing everything about this plot connington's thinking about her constantly you have to imagine Varys and Illyrio are as well as the rest of the golden company they know they were supposed to wait for danny and that they're not is stupid and it's not just that they're waiting for it's that she has the Game changers. She has the dragons. Young Griff does not have those. So whenever she shows up, their conquest ends. Then and it becomes Daenerys's, or they're gonna die. So there's a real race here to take as much of Westeros and maybe the Iron Throne itself, so that they have something to trade to Daenerys. Right now they have nothing. What do they have to offer Daenerys that she needs? Not nothing. much. She has. Uh, they have a sword company and some elephants. If they have the Iron Throne to trade to Danny. Just for a marriage, well, that works. Oh, Jeff, go get your hat. I'll
1: be back. Okay,
0: I'll keep talking. Oh, you guys get to see Jeff walk away. Hello. (laughs) There we go. Got the germ hat. 178 likes. You guys are wonderful. I love you guys. having a great time this afternoon uh we're gonna go a little bit longer because we bullshitted a little bit at the beginning still got some patron questions to go and a couple more points um (laughs) oh thank you Maui. thank you for the five dollars you are as always a wonderful person guys like my hat actually works better now that i got the um the baseball hair going (laughs) or the hockey hair going my hair's pretty long at this point got the wings wings like a dragon um yeah jeff always wears shorts I'm surprised he's wearing sleeves. Who would have thought it? Um, I also know, I'm sorry guys, I've also been ignoring chat a little bit while we've been doing this. As you know, this happens when I have guests on, especially one who is as well-spoken and knowledgeable as Jefferson. You're not a mean chick, Mallory, you're just a witch. Yeah, I think the turtle pin was made by, um, I think I got it off Etsy or something like that. It's very pretty. Uh, Not hockey hair yet i'll get there my hair has been long in the past actually someone on twitter um messaged me back and said that like um did i ever have gerard way hair from um uh from what's what's the name of the band hang on a second uh who was in my chemical romance and i did in college my hair was uh, was down to my shoulders. So this is actually pretty short, as far as my life has gone. It was full over my eye. I was tossing my head back and forth. No, his name's not Jefferson. I just like calling him that. Um, it was down to my shoulders. It was it was a it was a mood. My young romance. Yeah. Um, I was also quite a dramatic young man at the time. So this was when I yeah this is when I was in college. It's freaking yeah. It's cold here too. Um, I'm not posting those pictures. Those are embarrassing pictures. They did not look good. But I also um, in high school. This is gonna become Matt talking about his pastime in high school I went to a um a Catholic school so I was we had strict guidelines on how long our hair could be oh here he comes boom Baltimore got that Baltimore
1: pride going I do I was trying to find my old Afghanistan hat so we, we had us we had special hats made uh, with like oh. the uh, the digital camouflage pattern mm-hmm um and it had the rr logo so we were uh we were i was Tasmanian team tasmanian okay that's what i was so i was tasmanian six and had like the tasmanian devil doing the thing here mm-hmm. with like uh uh which was the over over top of the uh the <laughs> afghan flag so anyways daenerys targaryen yeah she's great isn't she? oh yeah
0: daerys targaryen like who can never talk she enough about her up. um thank I you know. for playing along with the hat thing um so so, yeah, th- this is a big problem for the Golden Company and John Connington that, um, like I was saying, they have nothing to trade her. They have nothing she wants. She's going to come out of the out of um, Slaver's Bay, probably with the Ironborn fleet. She's going to come out it with the Unsullied. She's going to have at least three dragons, well, yeah, at least two dragons, maybe three. She's going to have probably some maybe Volantine slaves. She's going to acquire allies as she goes. The Golden Company is a prize, but she also might have the Windblown, Tattered Prince has made, um, as intimated, that he would join their cause if they gave him Pentos, which is direct opposition to Young Griff and Illyrio. So the Iron Throne is really the only thing they can trade for their lives, because Danny is not going to share power, and she's just basically going to walk over them to take the Iron Throne. So that that's a really big problem for. Aegon for Younger's Conquest and Connington's prospects. And that's the that's that whole conversation with him and Halden Halfmaster where it's essentially they're trying to solve the problem of God, Daenerys is gonna mess up everything as
1: soon as she arrives. Yeah, and, and I think like too there's the other piece of it is you know I, I had this like idea that in the Winds of Winter like there's gonna be some sort of parlay between young Griff and, and Daenerys Targaryen, in which Aegon will be like actually if you would remember from your history I, Aegon the Conqueror had two wives. Why can't I have you and Arianne at the same time? No, no. way Danny's going for that. <laughs> no fucking way Daenerys is gonna go for that. But I can imagine that being the uh, the way that that young Griff might be like I, I can still do the the marriage thing and Daenerys is like what, what do you bring me? Like, I'm not going to be subordinate to you. And I'm also not going to play a role in being secondary and playing second fiddle because Daenerys has, has learned how to rule. And, and I think yeah. like this, this brings up something about uh, the, the dynamic between young Griff and Daenerys and also Jon Snow for that matter in that John and Danny have learned how to rule and they've learned in a practical environment they've learned the practical aspects of ruling in really hard circumstances John, in as Lord Commander of the Night's Watch ruling through a bunch of motley sons of bitches who don't want to reform the Night's Watch and he has to pull the Night's Watch as an organization kicking and screaming to allowing the wildlings south of the wall yeah. and also in doing these really like far-sighted things like gaining a loan from the Iron Bank and different aspects of that now there's certain numbers of failures of Jon and Jon's part as being the Lord of the Night's Watch, which I'm sure would be a great topic for conversation at some point down the road. Mm-hmm. But Daenerys too, she says at the end of A Storm of Swords that she's going to learn how to rule a marine state, learn and rule this city and she finds rule to be really exceptionally difficult she's done the concrete part the war shit was real easy comparatively walked to, in. to well, walked in to what basically walked right i mean she suffered a few hundred casualties at most you know, taking this taking slaver's bay mm-hmm. and she finds that to be something that emotionally thrills her as she states several times in a dance with dragons that she feels like or at the end of storm of swords she feels the dragon's anger like really coursing through her and the vengeance that she's visiting on on these people and it also feels the same way when she's ordering the torture of, of the children of the wine cellar um, from wine cellar's daughters from a dance dragons, Danny too, but she hates rule. But She does it. And she does really hard, difficult, complicated things that, you know, are, are, are she wasn't given this, this, mm-hmm. these, these opportunities. She took the opportunities and she made them into opportunities. She marries his daughter. She allows fighting fists to restore. She signs a really egregious, I mean, it really depends on your perspective. She signs an egregious peace with young Kai that allows him to slave again, but also prevents Marine from being slave again. And she puts her city and her people, her children, in front of her own desires. That has not been the case for Young Griff. Young, Griff, you know, and that opening quote, Varas talked about oh, he has learned how to fish and this works with his hands and has been trained by a SEPTA since an early age. Like Young Griff is basically George W. Bush, right? He's the guy <laughs> that got into Harvard University because yeah. his dad was in Harvard University. And all of the hard work that he had working in an oil rig in Texas and stuff like that was all because of the connections that he had with the higher echelons. elites of society Mm -hmm. this is this is the young griff story and and microcosm here where this kid has been trained how to rule but his training consists of the opportunities he's been given in a probably a very structured structured and safe environment in order to do in order to rule like getting trained by septa swimming you know fishing with nets all those sorts of things I'm sure there was like a dozen dudes around him making sure that he didn't potentially flounder in the water and drown. Instead he got kind of handed it to him. He got an education and an academic sense and he didn't have to learn to rule practically. Anyways, that's how I that's how I see the distinction there. I think it's going to drive the conflict between the two, even as a conflict would also be driven by both of these people really wanting to sit the Iron Throne ultimately.
0: And a, and uh, Young Griff very much feeling Daenerys does feel entitled to the Iron Throne, but she has understood and I mean like one of her, one of my favorite early quotes from her is when the, the sack of the Lazarene town and she cries and she says this is the price of the Iron Throne. A, young Griff or Aegon, I guess he, as he's now, has no conception of that and Mm -hmm. that's going to be a big problem when they interact because daenerys is going to look at young griff and probably see viserys that's the kind of person that she's going to um see him as and they have no way to control for this and uh, like we talked about earlier if young griff has already gotten married to Ariane because she seduced him because he's a um a headstrong easily manipulated kind of emotional person, that's going to make it even more difficult. He's going to have to divorce Arianne. She's not going to be his second wife. Daenerys is going to be queen. So Connington, no matter what, has to seat Aegon as king of Westeros before she arrives and also protect him from everyone else that's going to be manipulating him. And that, again, is driving Connington to do things really, really fast and really dangerously. Which is not going to go well. Like for instance, um, there was obviously in the in the show, King's Landing blew up when Daenerys showed up. Okay, mm-hmm. but. There's also the suggestion that maybe Connington will be behind it because obviously he thought, well, that was Miles toy, he said, well, you should have burned down the town. Connington would be like, well, maybe I should burn down King's Landing. I don't think that's really, get, really what's going to happen here, mostly because, like, I don't, I don't even know who in King's Landing Connington would have to find that he would need to burn down the city to get. And does he even know there's wildfire? Maybe. It, I, I don't. Yeah. I don't think that's true. But I think the idea that he's going to make some horrific, amoral or actively immoral choices in order to beat these time bombs that he knows are looming over his head is very likely to be true. And they're all going to come crashing to a head when Daenerys
1: lands. I mean, absolutely. I think like there's there's a theory that of is set off by the sound of bells, right? Yeah. Where the bells rang for us all that day for Rhaegar, for Elia, for us all me you know as he talks mm-hmm. about and like the bells seem to tend to be some sort of triggering mechanism for for him to do something terrible i think that's that's a great theory it's a theory that uh, my my handsome and excellent co-host on the Nauticast podcast um talked about doing uh, that potentially being something that occurs in 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 a dream of spring. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's possible that Connington might commit do something horrific in the um might be might be doing something horrific in in King's Landing. They might sack some of the city or kill some of the people or mm-hmm. act like Tywin Lannister. But I don't think it's going to I think it's it's going to be similar to Tywin sack of King's Landing at the end of Robertson right. Rebellion where No quarter time. We came in. I mean like several thousand people were killed and lots of people were raped as well. And those are all terrible things, but I don't think it's going to be the whole scale destruction of the city because ultimately young Griff is, Ending up at the point where he's being cheered as the Mummers Dragons by the people, by the small folk, mm-hmm. and King's Landing is seen in the House of the Undying prophecy. So, that to me doesn't really gel with this idea that Connington burns the fucking city to the ground. That's, yeah, that's, it's like
0: it's not. It's not Stony Sept. Stony Sept is not, is not a town he needed. He needs King's Landing to rule
1: exactly. And, and I mean that's that's been the, the the cause of the Blackfires. The Blackfires have always gone for the capital, King's Landing in the first Black Fire Rebellion. Right. Um, you know, the Battle of the Red Field occurred as the Blackfires marched on, um, attempted to march on King's Landing because they saw that as the seat of power in order to mm-hmm. sustain their model of governance or model of rebellion rather and also to sustain themselves in order to be seen as victorious in taking the, the capital and sitting sitting Daemon onto on the Iron Throne. Now, the other aspect of it as well is that I think it's it's Daenerys uh, for very obvious reasons. One, because I think Danny's story is ultimately one of tragedy, mm. because I think there's been a lot of foreshadowing that Daenerys is going to be burning King's Landing to the ground. But it's at the same level, I think you can't necessarily dismiss that of might do something terrible in, in King's Landing, but I think it's more likely going to be localized as opposed to widespread. The way that I I think the burning of Kings Lenny is going to go for Danny in a dream of spring.
0: I mean, it's gonna be a chaotic situation. Is Cersei's probably still gonna be there with the Lannister contingent? Maybe the Tyrells are still alive if they're not blown up in um the destruction of Baylor Sept, if that happens in the books, maybe. Um obviously young Griff will be there with the Golden Company. Danny's gonna show up with her own troops. It's basically gonna be a war zone. And that's a war zone with dragons, so mm-hmm. I, I don't think it has to be the intentional burning that the show portrayed for it to be her fault. But it, whatever, yeah. the, the, I think that's um, beyond what we're talking about here. It's <laughs> The important part is content is going to make it chaotic on purpose. And right. He's going to do everything and anything, and there's going to be no limits on what horrific shit he will do. Like, think yeah. Unwin Peak. Think um, think Megor the Cruel. That's the kind of person. Yeah, time yeah. and laster. There's a lot of historical villains that would do anything and cross any line in order to get what they want. And I think that's the bigger lesson about um, about counting. I would be interested to know if he knows about the the wildfire. I don't think he does because he was
1: dismissed before Rossart came into power. Yeah, it went from him and then it was chested and then Rossart, who were the hands after him. Um, I mean, he and, learned about and- it. Yeah, and he would. I, it doesn't sound like he was in King's Landing for all that long. Because no. Kevin Lannister remembers him being yeah, there. barely he remembers King. him. He's like he just went out the battle. Yep, yeah, he was there in King's Landing to accept the handship, the hand pin, I'm assuming. And then he was marching troops up to the Stony Sept to pursue Robert Baratheon. Mm-hmm. The timeline of Robert's Rebellion, Robert's Rebellion is, is wild when you, when you get down to the specifics of it. But beyond that, though, yeah, Connington is on a short is on a short time span already. And like I think much as Tywin Lannister does, is he constantly says he always has a reason for doing the terrible things he does. It's always cold, calculated political logic. I need to take King's Landing quickly before you know the Lannisters and yeah. can take the city or rally their forces or. You're on Gradual gets to Peter, or any of the, any of those different types of things. But like Time Lancer, Connington is motivated by personal reasons to do the things that he does. Yeah, no one exists in this. No one exists in the in this vacuum of no emotions factoring into the their decision making in A Song of Ice and Fire, and also in the real world in A Song of Ice and Fire. And in John Cointon's case. I think part of his motivation to do these quick, brutal actions will be to get Aegon onto the Iron Throne before you, before everyone can rally themselves, and also because he has to do this because he knows his time is limited. Mm. But also consider too how much exile and his defeat at Stony Sept, and his, is a, is his, his him having to take on dishonor of having to claim to have stolen from the Golden Company and then being forced from them and then dying drunk in exile from mm. them. Exile a second time is like platism. How often he thinks about how angry this makes him. I think that's going to be underlying a lot of him, what he does, similar to how Tywin Lannister's actions are underlied by the shame that he felt over his father. By his feelings of inadequacy that he felt over what Eris the Second Targaryen did to him in order to make fun of him and isolate and sideline him in it the lead to Robert's Rebellion. These are all factors that that just are going to animate Connington's emotional state, even as he tries to rationalize them in a cold, political, harsh logic mm-hmm. of do the bad thing now to have the to do you know the better consequence later on, the consequentialist philosophy. So yeah, it's it's content stories is one that i'm just really eager to see play out in the winds of winter and just for so many reasons and that yeah, and the emotional underpinning of it all, and of ultimately avenging Rhaegar Targaryen is gonna be the thing that's driving him forward to these brutal, brutal acts.
0: Yeah, and it's all going through the Stormlands. He has to beat the Stormlands first. And actually, while you were talking, I was thinking about something, and it's that that we were questioning the loyalty of everyone else to Connington, but Connington's loyalty to them is basically zero. His loyalty is mm-hmm. to young Griff. So what if the terrible thing he does is sell out the Golden Company and sells out Illyrio and Varys, makes a ah. DP and essentially gets them all killed if it means young Griff gets the throne with somebody else sponsoring. Like, he doesn't give a shit about Harry Strickland, he doesn't like Varys and Illyrio. He likes what they do for him. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, he you can, you can take these these people and use them as disposable assets the same way that Tywin Lannister does to characters mm-hmm. like Amory Lorch, right? Oh yeah, it was Amory Lorch who totally did all the terrible shit back in in, in King's Land at the end of Robert's Rebellion. It wasn't my my hands remain clean? Um, or you know that's just the, the the Tywin Lannister way of doing things. It's the Lannister method of of doing things. Yeah. All these disposable assets, Kettle Blacks uh, come to mind as being among those people who they can use and discard at will when they've ceased becoming useful. And Kindt could adapt a similar mindset in, in the Winds of Winter, and, and seeing all of these golden company characters, and being like, "Yeah, I'm you done know, with you Harry guys. Strickland. He's we don't we really. You've got like what three thousand surviving cell I've got Dorne. I've got Mathis Rowan. I've mm-hmm. got Randall tarley I've got sixty thousand Westerosi soldiers. Oh, and I've also got all of the sparrows, the the poor fellows mm-hmm. and the um, what's the, what's the other the knightly order of the warrior sons, uh, the sparrows, the warrior sons. There you go. The warrior sons. I've got 60,000 soldiers. Why do I need 3,000 cell swords? You all can go fuck off back into the narrow sea if, as, long as, as far as I care i'll make sure that's happened. we'll push you literally push you into the narrow sea one by one
0: yeah it's, it's i think it's very likely that connington makes continues the tywin method of making deals with people he doesn't like or horrible deals much in the same way that tywin was like i guess i'm going to deal with walder Frey and the boltons yep. because i don't like them i think they're crappy i don't i can't trust them but they give me what i need and the golden company and very quickly, very quickly not give him what he needs if they lose like one battle yep yep he's ready to
1: So discard his assets as he goes forward.
0: Yeah, we'll go over, but we're going to we're going to just run through these last things pretty quick. We got some patron questions and the last topic. So this is sort of a big meta topic for the end of the series. But Storm's End and uh, the Stormlands themselves do not have a ruler. Stannis is likely never coming back. Renly's dead unless Edric Storm is brought back by the end of the story, which may be likely. But even still, there is no heir, recognized heir to the Stormlands at the moment. And who rules it actually ties in a lot to who you think is going to be on the Iron Throne in, which we know is Bran Stark but there's a lot of good possibilities about who may be installed as the new lord of the Stormlands Um, the one the show gave us was Gendry um Robert Baratheon's bastard son but he wasn't really Gendry he was Gendry plus Edric so that's the other option we have Edric Storm Mia Stone is on the table unmarried and a recognized bastard of Robert Baratheon, so that's a possible one. It's also the Conningtons. Maybe Connington's ambition is not just to get back Griffin's roost, Maybe that's the deal he makes with Red Ronan. You can keep Griffin's Roost. I'm taking Storm's End as new lord of the Stormlands. Why would he not do that? That makes a lot of sense. Or he could give away Storm's End and rule from Griffin's Roost and have his um his unfortunate relatives that he doesn't really like, well, bribe them. <laughs> bribe them with a castle. And of course, whoever Danny wants and whoever Bran wants are the other possibilities, but it really seems to be focused around the Baratheon bastards. Which who's your pick? Who do you think is going to have it
1: in the end? It's Edric Storm, I think, is the ultimate going to be the the Lord of the Stormlands and the Lord Paramount of the Stormlands. You know, um, when, when we think about when we think about the the, the Baratheons as a house, I mean, they they do they are descended from bastards to begin with, right? That is the mm. origin story of, of the Baratheons. When. Uh, uh, Oris Baratheon, who is the alleged bastard brother of Aegon Targaryen, uh, ended up becoming legitimized and gained the the lordship of Baratheon after marrying the last mm-hmm. the, the daughter of Argylek Durandon. Right, I think I'm getting the name right. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, the story ends as it started with a bastard inheriting the house, a storm, the Edric storm inheriting Storm's End and becoming the Lord Paramount of the the Reach, the Lord Paramount of the Stormlands. And uh, kind of like, you know, it's, it's, what is it that George Lucas said? You know, it's, it's so dense, it rhymes, you know, each piece is coming Mm -hmm. together. Yeah. That's that's what I think is, is what George is going for with, um, with, with the end of, of, of Storm's End and specifically with uh. With how this is going to all unfold, I mean, there's there's an argument to be made for Gendry or, or someone else like that, and there's so even a possibility if if Edric Storm is not with John Connington, he can just show to up. Then, you could show up at some point thereafter uh, you know Andrew restaurant could be like look i brought back uh hey, where the fuck is harry Where's, where's Stannis? <laughs> to be soldiers here what brathians like there's, there's no nobody here, here. <laughs> like, hello it's empty the entire kingdom <laughs> okay. is empty stannis yeah, and like, renly uh, took everybody they, they took everybody and those that are left or have been folded up into the war between young griffin versus the lancers and Terrell so yeah it's it he could show up there at, at the end of the story and or, or even send show up to daenerys's court or, or Brand's court at the very end of the of Song of Ice and Fire, and be like, "Hey, I'm, uh, I'm actually the son of Robert Baratheon. I grew up at Storm's End. I would make an excellent candidate for the Lord of Storm's End, and I would be very, very loyal. Very, very <laughs> loyal."
0: There's also the possibility on Daenerys's journey west that she's the Targaryen that picks up. Edric on, on her way past Lyfts. I mean, everyone else has stopped there for water, why not her? That would be an interesting thing, and it would especially force her, it would be a good character moment because it would force Daenerys to deal with Robert Baratheon as a person, which she has never done. She hasn't faced him, she hasn't faced any member of his family, and there's a deep hurt she feels towards the Baratheon line. And especially because like uh, Stannis well he's the one that forced her east and she knows that so if you're looking for a way to get into Daenerys's head as George Edric is a really good way to do it but um I I tend to think it's going to be Gendry but I thought this before the show did it and that's, and that's because Gendry has a connection to the Starks, which nobody else has. And it seems like there's, even before we knew it was going to be Bran, it seemed very, maybe through John, it, it seemed like initially, um, I mean I was blindsided by King Bran, as many people were. But um, if John ended up on the throne, well the connection to Arya is a personal one, Gendry and Arya and if everyone if they finds out that he's Robert Baratheon's bastard then that's a personal connection that could lead to being named the Lord of Storm's End. Which Edric does not have. Um, mm. So, and especially now that we know Bran will be king, and Arya is going to have a key role in the end of this, I I, th- I think that some kind of favor for the guy she has a crush on, and the story is about how good of a person he is, and that's that's something that's under underdeveloped in terms of when Arya comes back. She's going to have a lot of stories to tell, but the one of the big ones is going to be about this uh, about Gendry and the quality mm. of his person, how loyal he is, how strong he is as as a personality. He stands up for the right thing. If you're looking to solidify a realm, Gendry is a pretty good candidate for that. And that it's the same way when you were talking about the differences between Daenerys and Young Griff. Well, Gendry hasn't learned a rule, but he does have genuine interactions with people, which Edric yep. largely has not. He's lived the privileged life of much like um like young griff. And actually if young griff ends up using Edric to take Storm's End, that might be why Gendry ends up coming in because yeah, she, yeah. because if Go ahead. if Edric is a part of young Griff's um force to take the Iron Throne and ends up blowing up on their face, well why would Daenerys honor that? That's another Baratheon taking up arms against her.
1: Yeah, I think that's, that's a great point. I think like Edric does what raised was Castle Rage, right? He's the only acknowledged bastard mm-hmm. uh of, well, of Meo. Ra- no, Mia me, was not acknowledged. That that's the the difference. I thought she was. Everyone knows she, she's Kit, kid though. Everyone knows that oh, she is okay. but she's I got not I got acknowledged you. because she is the she is uh, the daughter of a lowborn smallfolk uh, small folk woman oh, yeah. in, in the Vale. And Edric Storm is the daughter of Delina Florent, who is um of course was was <laughs> Was was conceived on on Stannis's, Stannis and Catelyn's Hey, <laughs> hey, Robert Baratheon, great brother, right? <laughs> bad brother. Bad brother. He's like the bad brother. It's not the good. He's he the bad brother of the story. Um, I mean, they're all bad brothers when it comes to the. They are all bad, bad bad brothers to each other. Yeah. Um. So so yeah, I think it's a great point that like Gendry has not not only has learned to interact with with the small folk. He is indeed a small folk person, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he was raised in a forge in King's Landing. By, uh, by Tobo Mott. I always remember that name. Like sometimes I like like fuck up names like in my own head, but Tobo Mon is just one that's just always stuck with me It's easy to remember. Mm-hmm. And he's journeying out with the Brother of banners. He's been knighted by by the yeah. by the brother without banners, and of course he resembles Renly Baratheon, as Brienne thinks in, mm-hmm. in, in in A Feast for Crows. So he has a he has he looks like Renly, who was popular in the Stormlands, as evidenced by all the Stormlanders not swearing to to Stannis instead swearing to Renly, and he has the life experience. So yeah, I could definitely see that being that, that I could see that happening. I, mean, I really hate to imagine though that Edric Storm and Gendry like find themselves in some sort of conflict over like who owns Storm's End. I also wonder about how that would occur, like. The page space that George had to dedicate to that, but um it could work. I, I can see it for sure. There's a
0: long history of so- pseudo-family members fighting over castles and titles. It'd be kind of fun if Edric holds Storm's End, but Gendry gets named Lord <laughs> by the new king, and how that yeah. has to play out—that would be something. I mean, there's a lot of ways for this to go. um I think, yeah, I think the the odds-on money is Edric at some point is Lord of the Stormlands. I don't know if he is by the end of the story. I still think Gendry's connection to Arya and therefore Bran is going to count for quite a lot. Um, so we got a, a few patron questions here. Um, we're just going to go through these. And uh, any other questions you guys have that we didn't get to, throw them in the chat. Just at me, bro. This is the one time you actually can. Um, and you can also, you
1: know, if you join Matt's Matt's patron, yes. Um, at, at the uh, w- which level is it that you guys that get access to the the, the master play? level? Five dollars. Master level, so five bucks a month. Not a whole lot of money, folks. If no you support. A, A great content creator and you can get access to to his slack and that's uh i'm in there once in a while so if you have more questions you're welcome to to toss them in over there jeff's in there too he is a patron um so the first one here from amy blackfire she
0: says we have so many baratheons and fire and blood in the current timeline that are influential how did the stormlands become so important to the iron throne i mean targ's married the Martells, but they never seem gotten the kind of influence house baratheon does well for one thing they are family this is this is a blood tie Um, They're both Valyrian families. I mean, the Baratheons don't look like it anymore, but um, Orys Baratheon was a bastard half-brother to Aegon the Conqueror. And that initial relationship seems to have carried out over time, although that has gotten lost a little bit, and they become more like Stark and Car Stark than like actual family.
1: Well, I also like too, isn't it that like Stannis and Renly and Robert's great grandfather, grandmother? Ag- well, well, Aegon the Fifth was the great great grandfather of, of these these guys. Uh, it
0: was Aegon the Fifth's daughter that had to marry the Lord of Storms End because of Jenny of Old Stones and Duncan Prince of Dragonflies. They broke the betrothal between Lord Baratheon's oldest daughter so they right. had to essentially give up a targaryen daughter to end the war
1: right Was that which what was their name rail Um. Riella, that...
0: it's a good question
1: hang on a second oh regardless well as Matt looks that up the, the point i'm driving home is is that the the interesting aspect is that the baratheons are in real yes Raeal. you're right rail targaryen uh, I said Raealist, but real whatever rail was was related was a targaryen and she was just four generations up from the current line of baratheons so this marriage ties do exist mm-hmm. both historically with ors barathe being the half brother of aegon the conqueror but have also existed at various forms down the road as well and george really expounded upon this all in, in fire and blood mm-hmm. volume one <laughs> i always get his name wrong another one the baratheon hand of the king who was just a. Uh, Oh. An enormous at the time and oh, half the time, it. pretty freaking cool
0: what's his name um, um hang on a second i know who you're talking about because i railed against him in my video talking about who tried to kill um what's her name um Jaharis's sister yep. um and i said as it soon,
1: was God, as soon as you is. say it i'm gonna be like oh yeah him Rogar, um, fucking Rogar. Rogar. Yeah, Rogar, Rogar Baratheon, that so asshole. The, I mean, the ties go from like it, it. It seems to be like for the Targaryens, and I'm and I'm not as, as big into the the history aspect of of A Song of Ice and Fire. But the Targaryens kind of like go in and out with different houses from the Reach. With the with the high towers, the Baratheons, the Martells, and Dorne, and everyone like that. So, these I think there are strong ties between the Baratheons and the Targaryens, and the Stormlands are important for proximity reasons alone, and that they are just right by the Crownlands. Mm-hmm. They're land uh, borders the Crownlands very closely, so yeah they have to keep their their allies happy and close and uh especially ones that are approximately close by location so yeah
0: and they're the only That's allies they brought with them they basically throughout most of the targaryen dynasty their allies were the Valyrians and the Brathians, because they're Valyrians. everyone else is they treat like other people but they treat the Brathians, the valerians into a small amount the celtigars but not really they treat them all like extended family and they married into them freely which they don't really do with other families they, they, it may have something to do with the dragon riding, whatever is going on with their incest. But yeah, like you're talking about, they're an important, not only do they serve as a buffer between the Iron Throne and Dorne and the Reach, but yep. they serve an important point for um, the trade coming out of King's Landing. You have to go by the Stormlands. So making sure they're on your side is a big deal. And it was essentially, it's the power block of the Crownlands and the, uh, the Stormlands that have been the seat of Targaryen power, which a lot of people overlook. They basically have been the same thing the entire time, no matter the situation, except for those few rebellions. Um, <laughs> and the other <laughs> the other important point about them is that um oh god what was i about to say i think i lost it um the baratheans oh and it's also that the crownlands were part of the stormlands for thousands of years the storm kings the targaryens cra- carved the crownlands out of the durandan lands so they are naturally a linked to kingdoms they are one kingdom basically and they had been culturally and militarily for almost for forever so yeah that is, that is why. I do love the fact when you play Crusader Kings 2 and you go back in time, you're like, wow, ah, the Baratheons owned everything. They basically <laughs> did. they There basically was not River Kings for quite a long time because the Baratheons said, I mean, the Durandons basically said, go fuck yourselves. And mm-hmm. it worked. The, the That whole coast is extraordinarily powerful. Um, a question here from Eric Forig, What is the role of Lysono Mar in the story? Do other sellsword companies have spy masters, or just those associated with Varys? Um, so other companies do have spy masters, I think, or at least somebody that fills that role. Maybe not the exact name, but um, yeah. Lysono Mar is an interesting character because he looks Valyrian, and but they already have Varys. So I wonder if this is supposed to be George a way of telling us that this whole young griff faction is not quite as tight as you might think they have two, two, two people doing the same job which you shouldn't do
1: yeah uh, lison omar is a, is a great character and i do recommend for folks who are interested in more learning more about lison omar uh, our, our friends at the planetos podcast did an excellent episode where they they talk specifically about lison omar as, as a minor character and ascending extra who's going to play a more prominent role in, mm-hmm. in the I think um Lison Omar is also like this this is a little bit outside oh it's not totally but this is a little outside of a stormlands discussion but Lison Omar has an interesting interaction with Ariane Martel where they're like talking back and forth and he's very courtly and polite. But Ariane's like he's not actually saying anything. He's just like talking around all of these issues. Mm. But then she also like examines him and she's like, is this what Viserys look like? Like like as she says, just just did he look like a woman? Because she thinks that uh mm-hmm. son of Mar is a woman at first. And he's and he's like, oh, actually I'm not a woman, but I have the beauty, the Valyrian beauty that you will see in, in, in Young Griff. And Arianne actually finds herself kind of turned off by, by of Mars appearance. Uh which leads me to a I don't know, this uh I'll talk about it very briefly and then we can move on. But there's there's this potential idea that Arianne, when she meets young Griff, might not actually be sexually interested mm-hmm. in Aegon because she'll think like am this is not really my type i like like the dark and dashing dark star dark star type figures who she totally had sex with um back in the day mm-hmm. but i'm not really interested in like having these kind of otherworldly elvish beauties um that we see in the form of the valyrians like actual valyrians not just the, not just the danes who may have ugh, that's a different topic altogether yeah um <laughs> but she'll end up rationalizing like having sex with aegon because she rationalizes as the price of the iron throne with the right. way that some of rationalizing different prices for it. So that's a potential way that Lysona Mar could factor in the story in order to foreshadow Arianne and Aegon actually meeting up and having a good, maybe not as good of a time as people might think it might actually be that she's repulsed by him physically, but she's like, eh, I, I still want to be Queen of Westeros. So yeah, fuck it, let's fuck. <laughs> Uh,
0: another one here from Eric Florig. Actually, we talked about this a bit, and that actually the reason I talked about it is because of this question. Does the uh, historical um, antipathy, I'm not trying to pronounce that word, between Dorne and Tyrells have impact on Aegon's partnerships and who are his friends in the Reach. We talked about the second part, but yeah, I really do think it's a problem that John Connington's whole strategy is he's like, I'm gonna unite the Stormlands and the Reach and the Dornish, three kingdoms that have been at war their entire history. These people mm. do not like each other, especially the Marcher Lords, the ones right at the borders, getting them to work together is going to be va- basically impossible. And many Targaryen Kings basically did not even try. They said, these guys are going to war with each other kind of no matter what. And I can't do anything about it. And Connington's like, well, I'm, I'm going to make them, I'm going to make them a fighting unit. It's like you, John Connington are going to make this work.
1: Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, Robert's rebellion did have Dorn in the reach on technical, technically the same side as, uh, <laughs> Technically. technically the same side as as each other but they didn't really like they didn't really campaign with each other right because the the tyrells um ended up besieging storm's end you know very successfully as we as we learned mm-hmm. um but the dornish ended up basically being blackmailed by Eris the second to marching army their army up to uh with Lou and Martell up to um, up to the Trident because they're basically like I mean, Ares like ah, ha, ha, I've got your I've got Ilia with me you don't want to see something bad happen to her do you? Happened yeah. anyway Happened anyway so Dorne should end up losing that battle so Dorne, Dorne just got fucked by, by Robert's Rebellion six ways from Sunday Um. so yeah I think it's, there is going to be an antipathy between Dorne and the Tyrells Factor in and the Tyrells the Golden Company the Storm Lords John and Aegon Baris, Illyrio there's, there's, a, there's a compliment of conflicts that are that are percolating for this this band that is hoping to take the Iron Throne, I, I do wonder whether they'll be initially united in their purpose to take the Iron Throne, and then right after that they go immediately back to snap they snap back into in fighting and potentially actually fighting each other.
0: Not only that, they have they already have split loyalties between the Reach and the Lannisters. Like these, all these king, these big kingdoms are going to be split into component parts, which is. Extraordinarily bad, or if you want to make a quick victory, there's no one house you can be able to take down in order to just knock them over. Because, like, let's let's say you take out the Tyrells. Well, you now have to deal with all the other Garth Greenhand houses that now want to be lord of the of the um of the Reach, and those that were against you, and maybe those that think Daenerys is the way to go. And oh my God, the White Walkers are coming! It's like there's no way for this to go as smoothly as Connington as thinks. There's too many complications.
1: I mean, this gets gets through a dornish conversation too, but I wonder whether there's going to be like this funny thing where the Ironwoods, House Ironwood was the traditional sport of the Blackfires, but because they sent Archibald Ironwood with Quentin Martell, they're going to be like, no, I'm sorry, Doran Martell. We're not going to go along with your plan to join up with the young Griff. We're actually going to stick with the Daenerys plan that you were originally proposing. And that ends up being like this kind of weird thing where the Martells were the supporters of the Red Dragon traditionally because of Darren II's marriage yeah. to Mario Martell. Um, and then that ends up being flipped because the Dornishmen, the, Dor- the, the Martells, end up supporting the Blackfire dragon accidentally. <laughs> And then the Ironwoods end up supporting the the Red Dragon in the form of Daenerys her. And it's, it's it's something to see. I mean, like a, it, it, like a, like like we were saying in the very beginning. Like we're, we're Game of Thrones, like simplified and consolidated their plot lines. George just expands them and complicates them over and over again. And then he has all this history that he's integrating as well, uh, that he's been writing about specifically that he's likely. And um, yeah, I've heard along the way that he's going to be integrating a lot more history into the Winds of Winter. So, oh boy, for I mean, for God, that. even we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what happens with the with all that come um, the uh and the winds of winter and all and all the different aspects of
0: that. There's there's even a good chance Dorn splits not even the Ironwoods but the Danes the Western Dornish they don't like yes. the they don't like the Martells at all. They think they got cheated out of what should be their kingdom the whole the kingdom of the torrentine but also all of dorne and how's that going to work with dark star how's that going to work with edric dane who knows like george has just made it so that yeah basically whatever kind thing thinks is going to happen is not um so this is kind of a more fancy question uh ramona zamphir she asked what about the eternal wrath between the drowned god and the storm god will this influence the relations between the iron islands uh supporting daenerys and the stormlands supporting aegon so Basically, the history behind this is it seems like the religions of the Stormlands and the Iron Islands are flipped, that the, the Storm God rules the Stormlands, the Drown God rules the Iron Islands, and they seem it seems to be that there's some kind of relationship there. I mean, the, the the faith of the Storm God no longer exists in the Stormlands. It died out a long time ago, but it's weird that they are set up in opposition to each other. And much like I was talking about how the Children of Garth may be a way you can track what's going to happen in the Reach, maybe this is another way of tracking but the fact that the ironborn will oppose whoever ends up in control of the stormlands in particular
1: Connington. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I I find it hilarious that like the the stormlands are are all basically faith of the seven followers Mm -hmm. and like, their, their faith in the Storm God like died when, when the Faith in Seven reached Westeros. Yeah. Before that it was probably replaced. I mean the old gods probably played a role in that. Mm-hmm. But the Ironborn are like, oh, actually it's really it's really fucking pisses me off that the Storm God is there messing up the Drown God. Aaron Dampere talks about do not you know do not bring up the name of the Storm God. Mm-hmm. But the people who actually would believe in the Storm God are like, no, we're we're, we're pretty normal. We we practice the Faith in Seven once in a while. Um, yeah. <sighs> this is one of those questions that I I, I ponder like the storm and the Iron Islands is going to be any, any interaction between that and the Winds of Winter. It just seems unlikely to me. um I think there can be certainly some symbolic importance and some s- symbolic themes that are interweaved in both these two disparate storylines. But again, like George has to do eighteen point of view characters, mm. and and really is you're Euron going to get to the Stormlands? I, I think that's unlikely. But again, something we'll see. I think that the parallels, the Storm God, the Storm King. And the Iron and a the Drowned God and the Iron King are going to and the, are, are going to be be there, but just not probably on on page space, just more in symbolic inference.
0: Or just like historical thing, you can look back and go, "Oh, cool." Although one way this could play out is if Edric does not show up with um, with Connington, maybe shows up later, and perhaps Huron catches him on his way around to go to King's Landing. Oh my God, he he would recognize the power in sacrificing somebody from the Storm Gods lands, basically, in the same way he's been doing in the Forsaken, where. He's, he's making symbolic and magical sacrifices. That would be a way for him for that to pop up if he wanted that to be a plot line. That'd be kind of tragic too if that's how Edric Storm dies. Sure. Yeah, I can say that for sure. Let's uh, see so here. Super chat here from... Uh, Kirby Dragons, a.k.a. Stephen Stark, is showing appreciation for the many hours of entertainment you've given this fandom. Thank you, Stephen. So generous. Uh, thank you both, Matt. Buy beefish a beer at the next con. I, I think I already owed you a beer. I think you bought me a whiskey last time we saw each other. Yeah, I did. So yeah, that I owe you
1: two. Yeah, I, I did not remember that, but I was also like really fucking wrecked. <laughs> By the time you stumbled into the George event. Yeah, uh, and then, we got we got pretty drunk. I remember that, Jeff. I owe, you, I owe you drinks. I'll buy you two. I was the one who was up early in the morning. I was up at 630 the next morning, though, reading Fire and Blood volume one while all of you lounge listeners were just rolling about in your filth. Not me. I was up reading.
0: I mean, like, Fire and well, Blood. me and Chloe thought we were about to die.
1: That's the true fan of this uh, this uh, live stream.
0: I think we embody George's true intention <laughs> the right way by getting wrecked after a convention and partying True
1: that. That's the sort of thing you do.
0: And last one here uh, from Ramona. Um. This is actually something I didn't think about and I haven't really thought about because I thought about Cersei interacting with everyone that looks like Rhaegar. I wrote a post about that a long time ago, how she's seeing Rhaegar everywhere and there's a lot of Rhaegar-like characters that are showing up right now. But um, the interaction between Connington and Cersei and their differing views of Rhaegar, if they ever come face to face, like that could be a very interesting conversation considering they have very different ideas about him and they both sort of feel like they're carrying his torch
1: they're like fighting over his memory in a way. Yeah, I mean that's that's possible. I mean, Cersei has a, a view of Rhaegar that is much like Westeros. Mm. She her. Her view is the microcosm of what Westeros feels about Rhaegar' infatuation with him, looking at the optics and seeing the most beautiful man in Westeros, and un, and not seeing the the sad, bitter person—not bitter, the, the sad person underneath of mm-hmm. the the, uh, the optics. And, and Connington kind of has the same perspective, you know. He always just is referencing like how beautiful Rhaegar's hair looked, flowing in the wind, top Griffin's roost, yeah. And without like, and, and you know, it's, it's it's fascinating to me that that Connington just does not have Barristan and Selmy's perspective Barristan and Selmy has a lot of limitations in what he about when it comes to Rhaegar, but he does note to Daenerys that there is a, he does note the bittersweet or the bitter aspect underneath Rhaegar and the mm-hmm. kind of sadness that was underpinning a lot of the, a lot of his actions, which is something that Connington seemingly has so far, and maybe this will get a little bit more fleshing out in, in The Winds of Winter, did not necessarily see. And yeah, so I could see like two people like just Having a, a looking at Rhaegar the same way and being like, I hate you because you see Rhaegar this way, and I hate you because you see Rhaegar this way. <laughs> he's no. my Silver Prince. No, he's my Silver Prince. Right. Well, and missing the sadness, of the underpinning Rhaegar, yeah. and which is of course, a, a big aspect of nostalgia and how nostalgia poisons people in the long
0: term. It's also going to drive Cersei crazy to see Aegon show up. Like that is yeah. going to that is going to shatter her brain to see him show up Be- because. Not only really does she love Rhaegar, but she hates Ilya Martel. She mm-hmm. is not gonna be nice to this kid and she's gonna take it almost as an affront to her in the same way that she viewed that marriage, that this kid's even alive. Like yeah. I, I think there's sort of an idea in the fandom that, like, oh, when when Cersei deals with uh with young Griff or Danny, she's gonna see Rhaegar, it's gonna soften her, it's gonna go the other way. She is mm-hmm. furious to the day that she was not married to Rhaegar, that Dornish stole her, that Ilya Martel was just not good enough for her, for her silver prints. And that's oh. going to make things really tense, really fast. Agreed. Agreed. Well,
1: well listen, man, I, I got to wrap up here on yeah. the minute so if that's okay. I, I, you I know. I, Appreciate everyone like watching and feeding excellent questions and chatting throughout. But I, I do have two small children. My wife has been patiently taking care of them for the past three hours. They did not take naps, so no. Sorry about that. It's okay. We no. got into it too far. It was it was yeah. too good a topic. It went Too hard. We went too hard, man. <laughs> That's
0: true. Um, so yeah, uh, why don't you, if you have the time, just very quickly tell people where to find
1: you? Yeah. So as many of you folks know, I'm I'm one of the co-hosts that I do with the uh, the podcast, the Not a Cast podcast that I do with Abbott Booth, a.k.a. Poor Quentin, him of the handsome visage, who is uh, a great guy and we do a lot of fun. We're going chapter by chapter through A Song of Ice and Fire. We are currently on Catelyn's seventh chapter in A Clash of Kings, about to do the uh, the, the second part where Jamie and Catelyn end up having their their confrontation um you can find us on patreon patreon.com forward slash not a cast asof where our next patreon only episode is going to be all about why um mance raider wrote the pink letter is that correct no it's not ramsey bolden wrote the pink letter of course right. god what correct. were you thinking um so this is uh going to be a, a great topic for those of you interested in, in that i know there's not been a lot of discussion about that recently so we decided to Bring that back into the for, into the forum. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brenda B Fish. You can find me at my website is wars of Politics And um yeah, just thank you all to participating and thank you most to Matt for inviting me onto this uh or I guess I kind of invited myself and I apologize for that. I for invited same.
0: you back in the day and then you were busy because
1: you're a job. So we, we got to it now. We got to it now. So uh, it's great. It's all fantastic stuff. And, you know, I appreciate it. all the kidding aside. I appreciate your friendship and Aww. look forward to many, many years of friendship going forward and uh, spending time with many of you who are in the chat uh, talking about A Song of Ice and Fire until my fucking jaw falls off from <laughs> dipping too much.
0: You too, Jeff, are an adequate fandom associate. <laughs> um, also, so I stuff. wanted to give a quick shout out to Steve in stark he's gonna be having a stream a little bit later it looks like um they were i got tagged in this uh Will be on, oh, he's going to be on John Webster Film um, and his own channel tomorrow. I think bef- after History of Westeros, I think is the normal timing. I don't know if Radio Westeros is streaming today. They, they go every other week. I don't know if that's today. If they are, go check them out after this. Um, and as always, you can find me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Magician. As Jeff graciously mentioned, uh, you can get access to the Slack, um, patron-only episodes. Actually, the next one coming up will be Sand Kings. I'm going to analyze George's best short story that's not in *The Song of Ice and Fire after doing his worst in Meat House, man. I decided to flip it up. Um, obviously, you got those videos coming. Um, look, for, look out for merchandise. And also, I forgot to say this, along with the next video with all that stuff launching, there will be a giveaway with something signed by the great and powerful Turtle himself. So look forward to all of that. Um, I will see you all next, this coming weekend. Yeah, I don't have to work. Um, 2 p.m. Saturday again. Don't have topic or guest lined up yet, but I'll figure something out and it'll be great. Thank you all so much. Have a great weekend.